0: Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is 10 o'clock on the 7th of October. I hope you'll come to Libertopia, uh, just three days left, to buy your two days left to buy your tickets online, libertopia.org. I will be there incessantly hogging the microphone as usual. So I hope that you will be able to check that out. Also check out my interview on Reason TV. It took them a while, but I think they did a good editing job and managed to splice me and Pamela Anderson together to the point where we only bring one larger boob to the interview, which would be me, of course. So I hope you're doing well. I guess we are getting close to voting time. It's voting time for the sheeple. And Herbert Spencer was a a very cool, well worth looking into 19th century thinker, philosopher, sociologist, an all-round intellectual raconteur. And he said something interesting. You know, it's always amazing to me how nothing <laughs> new is new. Uh, so, you know, you hear these arguments from people about voting. They say, well, if you don't vote, you can't complain. Well, of course, George Carlin has some good stuff on that, but Herbert Spencer talked about this in the 19th century. Oh, these arguments are so old. And he said something along the lines of the following. He said, ah, 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 I see how this works. So if you vote and your candidate wins, clearly you can't complain because you got what you wanted. If you vote and your candidate does not win, you can't complain because you agreed to participate in the process and you agreed to participate by the majority decision. You voluntarily participated in the process, and therefore you can't complain, much as if you can't complain if you lose your money at a casino when you are voluntarily there. So you can't complain if your candidate wins. You can't complain if your candidate loses. If you don't vote at all, you can't complain because you did not participate in the process. Hmm. I wonder what the common thread is in all of these different choices. Well, of course, the common thread is you can't complain. And... Um, I think that's uh, that's nonsense. There's a good article on uh, reason.com about voting which I just sort of touch on on here but of course your vote is meaningless there's been no vote in history that to to the knowledge of the writer to my knowledge to knowledge of anyone else that has ever been decided by a single vote. So there is no uh, there's no your vote is meaningless it is not going to decide the election in any way she perform. Ah uh, but then people get all kantian on your intellectual hiney. And which is really close to medieval (laughs) on your hiney. And they say, ah, but what if nobody voted? (laughs) And then you were the only person who voted. Then you would decide the whole election. Or what if nobody voted? Then the system would lose all legitimacy. To which the anarchists can only say, hells to
1: the (laughs) yeah!"
0: I think we're down for that. But... Uh, this is funny, you know, the Kantian the argument is interesting. It is an interesting argument, and I've been, had some requests to deconstruct it over the years, which I will get to one of these fine days after the late-night bleary-eyed slog of the documentary, the Bataan death march to the illumination of the planet, is complete. But um, you don't really find the Kantian argument used a lot in non-coercive situations. Right, so imagine I call you up and say, hey, let's go see um, a movie. Finding Nemo is playing again in 3D. Let's go see Finding Nemo. To which you would not reply, I don't think you would reply, to say, Steph, are you crazy? We can't conceivably go and see Finding Nemo in 3D. Because what if everybody in the whole world decides to go and see this showing at this theater of Finding Nemo in 3D. The lineup would be six or seven billion deep and we would never get a chance to see the movie. Hey, let's go to Wasaga Beach this weekend. No, because what if everyone in the world decides to go to Wasaga Beach this weekend? We will have to walk over people's heads for statistically about a mile and a half out to the ocean before we got any waves so that's, that's no good. Let's go fishing. <laughs> no, what if not everyone in the entire world decides to go fishing at that spot in that moment? Scare all the fish away. That's a lot of people. <laughs> Let's drive downtown. Okay, it is 3 a.m. on a Sunday, but what if everyone in the world decides to drive downtown? The traffic will be unbelievable. You get the point. <laughs> we continually make choices. In fact, the vast majority of the choices that we make are predicated on almost everyone else in the world not making that same choice. Ooh, there's a cute girl at the bar. I think I would go and ask her to dance. I hope that not everyone in the world comes in and asks her to dance because that would be kind of confusing for her. Or if it's not everyone in the world, I sure hope that Brad Pitt (laughs) doesn't come in and ask her to dance because I can compete with the Danny DeVito on stilts. I cannot compete with Brad Pitt in a wetsuit. The wetsuit is the key. And so we are continually doing all of these things. We are continually making plans on the assumption that almost everyone in the entire world is not going to do (laughs) what it is that we want to do. In fact, I can't think of a single, non-coercive, non-fraudulent activity like, sorry, that, that we do predicated on everyone else doing the same thing. I mean, we'd like to. I mean, you know, I'm going to steal something. I sure hope everyone in the whole world doesn't steal. But that's not how we live. So this idea that the the Kantian, the categorical imperative can be used in non-coercive situations, uh, and voting is a non-coercive activity. It's not a non-coercive environment because you are attempting to have your voice heard about which way the guns point and there's a thought experiment someone came up with which says if an innocent child were being tied to a stick and there were a hundred soldiers or people who were going to shoot that child and all the bullets were going to hit at the same time and no one could tell whose was whose and someone came along and said would you like to be the hundred and first one to pull the trigger no, nope, no, nope. there's no punishment if you don't. Well, of course we wouldn't, right? We wouldn't involve ourselves in the use of violence if it was simple and easy for us to not do that. And that really is the reality. You know, uh, it's always coming up with the words. And, you know, if you're in the chat window listening to the show, give me some words. It's You know, a lot of life has to do with just having the right language. A lot of moral decisions just have uh, it's just all about having the white, right language so people say did you vote I Say, no why didn't you vote what's the matter with you well you know when I was brought up I was told not to get involved in gang activity um, did you vote no <laughs> why didn't you vote well my vote is meaningless it's not going to decide the election even if it did decide the election, there is no guarantee whatsoever. In fact, there's every indication to the contrary. There's no guarantee whatsoever that the politician is going to do what he or she says they are going to do. So, given that it's not going to make any difference, I can't control the outcome, it's a violent system to begin with. I chose to stay home and spend an hour playing with my children, which is a definite plus for me, rather than driving, which always takes the risk of getting... Creamed by a truck, uh, so I, I decided not to do something that even with a mild risk of uh, uh, even a mild risk of fatality, and is a meaningless exercise involving yourself in a violent system where you have no control over the outcome anyway. I try uh, try try not to get involved in useless, violent, dangerous activities. The Real question is: What lies are you telling yourself that made you go and vote? <laughs> And also because voting is an equality thing, right? So if there was some tennis tournament which included a vast – the vast majority of the participants in the tennis tournament didn't even know which way to hold the racket, never even heard of the word tennis, didn't know what the tennis ball was, sort of like if you go to the Middle East and there's some outback – Muslim village elders who've never been on a plane before taking the trip to Mecca, they don't know how to to use the seats. (laughs) They sort of kneel on the seats and look over the back and never been exposed to it. So if I'm an expert tennis player and I've been playing tennis, I've got 30,000 hours of practice uh, in in tennis uh, and I'm a top-seeded tennis player, and there's some tournament where every non-playing tennis buffoon (laughs) wants to go in and play tennis, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't participate in that. It would be silly. It would be pointless. And the staggering interstellar ignorance of your average voter is something you need to take into account. If you've studied anything to do with philosophy, with politics, non-aggression principle, libertarianism, anarchism, you name it, then you are vastly more informed than literally 99.99999% of the voters who live in the matrix. And once you're out of the matrix, the meaningless rituals inside the matrix are revealed as meaningless. You don't participate. I'm too skilled in political theory, in philosophy, in uh, social understanding. I am too skilled to go into an even contest with the ignorant. It would be embarrassing. It's like Roger, Roger Federer showing up at some local introduce your kids to tennis week and blasting tennis balls at your five-year-olds. The interstellar ignorance and delusions of the average voter, it's not their fault, it's just the matrix they live in. I'm not going to go in and pretend that we're all equal. I mean, that's ridiculous. Have some respect for your own knowledge. Have some respect for your own skill. And be empirical. The ignorance of the average voter is truly astounding. It is, <laughs> human ignorance is the dark matter that the physicists keep looking for. These are all empirical facts. I mean, you can just look up how people answer questions about politics. You know, people think that foreign aid is like 20 or 30 percent of the U.S. budget. It's, I think it's maybe 2 percent or 1 percent. No, even less than that. It's a tiny, tiny fraction. Scott Pelley of 60 Minutes was asking Romney, don't you think the government has a should provide health care to those who can't afford it? Don't you think there should be a magic fairy that can conjure medical expertise and resources out of thin air at no cost to anyone and provide it to the poor people who are sick and unwell through no fault of their own? I mean, it's a trap. These are all just nonsense. It's all nonsense questions. I'm working on helping out sick people. What are you doing? Well, I'm working on a magic fairy prototype that pulls in magic doctors from an interstellar dimension and gives free health care, manufactures pills out of nothing and provides them to health care, provides health care to the poor. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so anyway, I just want to mention that um, since <laughs> we needed a few time to queue up the callers, that, I mean, this voting thing... Yeah. Do what you want, but you are descending to uh, participation as an equal in a truly ignorant rabble, and most, of course, the pe- most of the people will fight any kind of knowledge that you bring to them tooth and nail. And I guess I'll conclude with a famous quote. Two famous quotes from Churchill. The first is the. Um, The best cure for democratic tendencies or a belief in democracy is five minutes conversation with your average voter. He said this after decades in politics. So number one. And number two, he said uh, democracy is the worst system of government conceivable, except for all of those others that have been tried from time to time. And I sort of agree with that. I like living where I'm living versus just about any other place in the world. Otherwise, I'd be in that other place. But he's right. Democracy is about the worst system of government, except all of those others that have been tried from time to time. So, let's stop trying them. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the callers. Thank you for your patience.
2: Uh, First up today, we
3: have ah, Tremblay.
0: Ah, Tremblay, how are you?
3: Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? You cannot be calling in
0: with a name like Tremblay and not have a gruesome Quebecois gutter accent. I, well, it's, it's not possible. So you'll have to try it again with an outrageous French accent. Huh?
3: Wow. You have to pretend uh, to be the candle cool. in uh, Beauty and the Beast.
1: <laughs>
3: so, uh, yes, I am from Quebec, although I do live mm. in Ottawa.
0: Well, you've uh, you've cleaned up nicely, let me tell you.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Quebec um, Quebecois, the Cockney of Paris. <laughs> anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, basically, uh, I was calling because I would like to know uh, how, how to help with the anger issue. Uh, because I'm, like, I'm always talking about uh, the government with almost everybody that I meet. Uh, I have trouble speaking about anything else. Uh, and it's starting to annoy people and it's affecting my relationships. Right. For example, with my parents, every time they complain about something, I always point out that, well, the, the whole reason why you complain about this is because the government does this and that and that. And uh, basically, it annoys everybody. And um, I just can't figure out how to stop talking about it, no matter how I try. Uh, right. I, I also get, uh, get very angry in my head. So... Every time I hear about something that the government does that I don't like, I always get very angry, and um, and it's affecting my relationship uh, with my girlfriend. Like For example, I got a, a, a subpoena recently, about two, two days ago, and I have to show up in court. And apparently there's nothing I can do about it. I have to drive two hours to Montreal, and I have to be there. And I've talked to three different lawyers. There's no way I can avoid it. The, I cannot go to court and and like but uh, well, you can
0: but you go to jail right
3: exactly they'll send the police after me they'll have a uh, a arrest warrant to bring me to court if I don't show up uh, yeah. so I, I'm extremely angered about it and I've been like uh, I've been shutting down uh, for about two days I haven't really talked to to my my girlfriend I've, I've just been standing there staying, staying being very silent compared to usual and it just really really affects me and uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to 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 grow outside of that, to, to don't let these things affect me, but I don't seem to be able to.
0: Right, now just for those who are listening who are not, you know, knee deep in the frozen tundra called Canada, not, like avoiding talking about politics in Ottawa is like avoiding talking about transvestites in Montreal or avoiding uh, talking about um, coffee in Colombia or politics in Washington. It is the capital that is the Houses of Parliament there in Canada. So it's a political town, is that is that fair to say? All right. So th- these are great questions. And look, I sympathize. <laughs> I sympathize. Uh, I mean, it's my job, and it drives me a little baddie sometimes. Uh, and I sometimes can't sort of shake a, a kind of sense of foreboding, right? Or of uh, almost of dread of of where the society is heading and what's going to happen and so on. So I um, I, I sympathize. Uh, I, I, I think that having a goal of not having it affect you is not is not realistic. Right. So so it, because that would be to not have a brain and a nervous system. So I think saying I, I want to. I mean I know we all have this Zen fantasy sometimes that when we're really bothered by something that we can unplug something and and sort of rise up in a lotus position and look at the squalling mauling ha- uh, herd of complaining empty-headed animals called human beings like we would look at an anthill like isn't that curious I don't want to squish any but I'm kind of interested in studying how they work and with this sort of wry amused smile uh, float above the turmoil of the land and not be bothered by it so there is this fantasy and this desire, and this is what is portrayed a lot in movies, right? You know, the Zen master, the David Carradine, the whatever, right? Hello. The um, the Mr. Miyagi. Uh, these are the people who. Hello. Uh, recognize that. Yeah, if you can just wait, please. which is the middle of a call. Uh, if you, uh, these are the people who are, who who see the problems of humanity, but kind of rise above it with a wry and detached smile, and that is, not healthy it's it's you know, everything that is portrayed as a response to crisis in the media is almost the exact opposite of what you should be doing like every solution that is portrayed in politics is the exact opposite of what you should be doing right oh healthcare costs are too expensive let's have more government regulation nope that's the opposite of, of what you should be doing Well, I'm concerned about the education of poor children, particularly disadvantaged poor children who live in the inner cities, in government housing, who have single parents. Let's have government schools. Let's have a welfare state. Nope. That's the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Violence seems to be causing a lot of problems in society. I've got a great idea. Let's double down on the violence. Well, this, of course, is just addiction. A gambling addict believes that the solution to his increasing debt is an ever escalation in his gambling Throwdowns. I mean, this is classic addiction behavior. The, the, The actions that got you into trouble must be doubled down to get you out of trouble. So the idea that you should become detached from the world and that that's wisdom and maturity is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Right? So, I mean, if you walk, I mean, if you walk into a hospital and you've got some rabbit ferret hanging off your arm, fangs deep into your elbow, you don't want the doctor to take a wry step back and say, hmm, how fascinating it is to see one mammal attached to another mammal in a thrilling embrace of the cycle of life. No, you want him to, like, call stat weasel or whatever the hell it is that they do and get 60 guys in there to de you and detach the ferret and, you know, you want them to freak out a little bit. You want them to panic a little bit. You want them to, to, to do something and so i don't think having i think having it not bother you is not is not wise it's going to set you up for failure and you don't want to be the kind of person who is not bothered by impending catastrophe because that's being a psychopath right the people who aren't troubled by things that that is not wisdom that is not zen maturity that is not a Buddhist detachment from all the squalling masses of humanity, that's called being a cold-hearted, unfeeling, stone-faced psychopath. You don't want that. (laughs) You really don't want that. So let Mm -hmm. let me just – that's it for my sort of speech about don't detach yourself from the world. And now is the time on Freedom in Radio where I ask the questions about you. You ready? Yes. Good. Still there. All right. So – what was your exposure to anger when you were a child? Uh,
3: almost, uh, almost none. I, I was. Uh, my my parents were very very calm. Uh, my father stayed at home. Um, there was not a lot of anger uh, when I was younger. Go on. The. Uh, However, I I was the the pretty much the only one that was angry in my family. Uh, I became more and more angry as I grew up at about twelve, all the way to I would say like twenty four years old. I got angry very very easily. About uh, about uh, I mean I snapped and started screaming very easily. Uh, eventually, I stopped doing that.
0: But what were you angry about at that time?
3: Well, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just like uh, like uh, when people asked me uh, or put me in something that I was uncomfortable. I was just uh, I was just angry that things didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out. Uh,
0: oh, okay. So if you if you didn't get your way, then you would get angry when you were... Okay, and what, what, what were those ages again? Up to 24, and you said around, around uh, puberty? Is that right, 12?
3: 12 to 24.
0: Up to 24, okay. And what was your... What was your father your primary caregiver, you said? Yes. And so when you would start to get angry, which you say you don't remember happening as a child, but started happening when you were in your early teens, when you would get angry, um, how would your father help you with that situation?
3: Well, he would uh, he would uh, he would try to, to just talk about it and then like and see why I was angry and ask me to be less angry. Which how and how did that work? Well, it did help. Uh, at least it prevented it from escalating even more. But I, I had to go through. I had to, to realize it myself that I had to stop being angry, which I did at twenty four. And that's All right.
0: I, and what about your mother? Uh,
3: my mother is uh, is the most calm person. I've never seen her being angry or raise her voice once in her life. She's very, 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 uh, very, very calm.
0: And do you know if there's anything that happened? Because, sorry, is it that you were not... Uh, you didn't really experience any unusual anger when you were a child until your early teens. Uh, is that is that right?
3: Pretty much, yeah.
0: And... What uh, happened, uh, if anything, when you were in your early teens that changed this for you? Do you think?
3: Um, I think it's more like uh, I was more, uh, I had more interaction with other people, I think. Uh, I was pretty shielded with my parents. So I don't think that I really had confrontation of any kinds for those first 12 years. And I think when I started having confrontation with others, I was not very prepared, or it was outside. Sorry, um, when you say
0: you had no confrontations with others, what about in school?
3: Well, it's it's so it's it's so I was mostly like a silent person, sitting in my own corner. So I just did things uh, on my own mostly.
0: Um, and so, did you have conflicts with friends?
3: A little bit, but yeah, nothing to really, uh, well, of course, there there had to be conflict with friends, but nothing really stands out.
0: All right. And do you think that there was anything in your parents' life that they could have been angry about or that it would not have been too surprising for them to be angry about or upset about?
3: Well, yeah. Well, they would have been upset if I had done things that were not uh, no, no, no. I
0: mean, sorry, in their life, I mean, were they treated unjustly? Was there, were there problems at work? Were they treated unjustly by family or friends at any point uh, where some upset would not have been crazy?
3: Well, yes. My, my father has uh, has issue with his mother. Uh, she uh, His father died when he was uh, very young, like four years old. And uh, his mother had to take charge of, uh, of a large family, about 10 kids. And she, she – uh, to her, like, she, she really got scared, I think, when that happened because she's responsible for now 10 kids on her own. And that was – And how old was she? She, oh, she was about uh, 30. And it, it was back – she, in- she had 10 children? Yes.
0: I guess this is before the quiet revolution, right? <laughs> yes.
3: Okay. Yes. All right. And uh, So, go on. And before women woman could easily go into the workplace. So she had to take care of everybody on her own. And I think that she she basically freaked out. And she uh, she hit my father a lot. And she was very angry all the time at all of our kids. So it really, even today, he has trouble speaking to his mother, my dad. So I think that really, really affected him.
0: So your father was uh, hit a lot by his mother. And she was angry at her children a lot. You, I mean, you started off with the excuse, right? I just wanted to that's point true. that out, right? That's true. You started off with the excuse, and then you explained the behavior. I mean, we don't have to dig into that now. It's just, I just wanted to sort of point that out. That's that's quite common, right? My, mother, uh, like my grandmother behaved really badly. I'm not going to tell you that. First, I'm going to give you all the reasons why, and then I'm going to tell you what she did. I just wanted to mention that. Um, that may be a bit of a habit in your family, but... Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so your father was hit, uh, and of course... When you have ten children and one parent who is doing something to have money, right? I mean, she I don't know if she's working or, or what, maybe it was the state or maybe it's other people or charities or whatever. But there's not a whole lot of parent to go around for ten children, right? She worked. She worked. Okay. So where did your father go? Did they did they go in daycare?
3: No, they uh, they stayed at home and took, took care of each other, like all, all the kids.
0: Oh, so one of them was a teenager when your
3: grandfather died? one of them was about 14. So he was the, and my dad was the second uh, oldest. So he was about like 12 or so. And, uh, And basically they just grew up together with my grandmother.
0: So when your father was about 12 and his father died, he and one other older sibling were kind of put in charge throughout the day of eight children. Yes, wow, and did your grandmother ever remarry? Uh,
3: I, do, I don't think she she didn't remarry. I think she had a boyfriend when she was 80 or something Yeah. <laughs> and that's about it.
0: All right, and do you know the degree to which her extended family pitched in this in this extremely difficult situation?
3: Uh, I don't think a lot happened. Uh, I don't know all the details, but I don't think a lot happened. She was mostly on her own, I believe. Uh, But she, I mean, she. I assume with 10 kids she's
0: Catholic and there would be a big church environment. I mean, they would help out with the sudden death of a father of 10 kids, right? uh,
3: Perhaps, but I've never heard anything about. uh, Well, what I heard is mostly that they were on their own. Uh, They did have some welfare help. But it was yeah. it was almost nothing back then. Uh. All right, so let me
0: uh, let me test your emotional radar here.
3: Your father,
0: his father, died when he was twelve, right?
3: Yeah.
0: And look, there's just no way that he could have emotionally processed that, given that he was suddenly in charge of eight kids throughout the day, right? Five days a week. Mm-hmm. Right, so what is common between you and your father in terms of the ages we've been talking about? When did you start to get angry?
3: What is common between me and my father?
0: Yeah, When? What? at what age did you start to get angry?
3: About 12. Huh?
0: At what age did your father lose his father and become a young parent to 10 children?
3: About 12.
0: Right, so you see there's, there's a pattern a potential pattern here right
3: okay yes
0: so i would imagine and you know don't tell, don't let me tell you anything that isn't true according to your experience i'm just going to tell you that i imagine that your father is not very emotionally expressive
3: mm-hmm. is that true that is true
0: right so uh, for people who have not processed their emotions and i I'm not saying I blame your father for this in any way, not that it would matter what somebody on the internet thinks, but but if your father has not processed his emotions, then when you reach the age of his trauma, mm-hmm. it's gonna be it's gonna provoke a lot of emotions in him. Yeah. And Jung has a statement which says there's no greater effect on the lives of children than the unlived lives of the parents. Your father, I would imagine, did not have an overly fun and free teenage experience, right? That's right. So I think that... And and the other thing, too, is that your father would have some stuff to be angry about. Mm -hmm. And if he's never... See, if you're overly angry and they're underly angry, that's not an unusual pendulum. Okay. Like, if they don't express any anger, but they are angry, then the passive-aggressive thing is to provoke anger in other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what people who can't express their own anger do, is they provoke anger in other people and then reject other people's anger. It's a way of controlling their own emotions and also of demonizing anger, right?
3: Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's good for sure, yeah.
0: Make- so... I would, if I were you, I mean, obviously, I'm going to make my usual pitch. Therapy is is fantastic and and with the right therapist, it's a life-changing experience and all these sorts of great things. But I think that it's worth talking to your parents about their childhoods. I mean, I don't know that we can really know people without knowing their childhoods.
3: Yeah, and we've been kind of avoiding this conversation because I know how loaded it is. So perhaps that was a mistake that I've made.
0: Well, I mean, mistake or not, I, I don't know. I I would be I would be hesitant to start putting it into these or those categories. But I would talk to them about their their childhoods. It's it's the only way that I know to really get close to people. It's not like you only have to talk about childhoods but you need to know what has shaped the people in your life and of course i'm I'm always talking to my daughter about my childhood Mm -hmm. i mean for a number of reasons one of course she's intensely curious um she's always asking me for stories about my childhood Uh, and secondly because i really want her to understand that i was as small as she is Right. So that she gets a sense that I grew up, that I was a child, uh, that I made mistakes, that I continue to make mistakes. But there are, I'm not saying your parents, there's a lot of parents who they're like professional parents. It's like they they have no histories. They just, you know, they they were big when the child was small and they were just bigger and they stay bigger and they never humanize themselves or never allow that to, to occur, that they are flawed people like everyone with difficulties in their histories like everyone some of which are processed and some of which is not like everyone so i would have conversations about that
1: mm-hmm.
0: because if your dad and you know we, we you can obviously talk about this with your mom as well but if your parents suffered traumas and and look i mean that's pretty bad sudden death eight kids on your plate when you're 12 god i mean that's crazy and if that's not processed, it's going to have a huge effect on you. So I, w- I would focus on all that history, childhood, deep understanding of your origins. I wouldn't focus on clamping down on the effects. Okay. So um, that was the uh, yeah that would be that would be my suggestion.
3: Okay.
0: Uh, and uh, I think that's the best way to approach it. Uh, and I'm really sorry about the subpoena thing. I'm really sorry about the subpoena thing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you understand, it's not on you, right? I mean, it's it's like if you get mugged, yeah, it's really upsetting. But it's got no moral standing on you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sorry about it, but um, it's, you know, somebody wrote on my YouTube the other day, on a YouTube video said, I'm no more responsible for what my government does than Jodie Foster is for Reagan getting shot. <laughs> you know, she had a stalker who was trying to get her attention and shot Reagan and all that. Okay. In fact, we're even less. I mean, J- Jodie Foster put herself in the public eye, right? And if I remember rightly, that may get you a few stalkers. But uh, it's, not, it's not on you. And it just, you know, view it as a day trip. And you can view it anthropologically. I'm going into the belly of the beast. I wonder what it looks like in there. I mean, you yeah. can do it in a way that it's not going to be like, oh, those bastards are stealing my day kind of thing. Yeah, try to change it any fun. No, exactly. God, <laughs> no. No, no, no. No, you, you know, trying to change ignorance is like trying to wrestle fog. when I mean, there's no purchase. Ignorance is nimble because it can't be caught by anything. Ignorance is a rejection of reason and evidence. And therefore, it cannot be caught by anything. And so, I really, you know, the ignorance of the people around you, the ignorance of your horizontal slave masters called citizens is impossible to fix. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's, that's the important thing to understand. If you get angry and I, I don't mean get upset about terrible things that happen. I mean, of course we're human beings, but I think anger is an overestimation of the capacity of change in another person. Right? So, If I saw a man walking towards a busy street, I would yell at him to Mm stop. But if I was a long way away and I knew that he was deaf, I wouldn't yell, right? Yeah. I mean, I might, but it would just be a reaction. It wouldn't be anything that I would, you know, or if I didn't yell, I wouldn't say later, oh, I should have yelled. It's like, no, he's deaf. He can't hear you, right? Yeah. And so action is aimed at securing a result. Any repetitive actions that do not secure the stated result are in fact securing another result that is unstated. And if you get angry at your fellow citizens, that is because you have the stated goal of changing their minds, right? Yeah, that's true. But in order to change someone's mind, they have to have a standard of truth that is higher than their own prejudices, right? their own particular perspectives, their own opinions, their own beliefs. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. And this is why philosophy is so hard to spread, because you need philosophy in someone else's mind in order to spread philosophy in someone's mind. Mm -hmm. They need to have a standard of truth that is higher than their existing biases, and then you can reason with them, and then you can provide evidence which will change their minds. But to have a standard of truth that is higher than your own opinions is already to have philosophy. And so you need philosophy in people's minds in order to teach them philosophy. It's really (laughs) frustrating, but once you accept it, it's a lot easier to understand, right? So it's like if I wanted to teach someone who speaks Mandarin and I said, well, I'm going to teach you English, but first I need you to know English. Mm-hmm. person would be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I need to be really fluent in English in order for you to teach me English? I don't understand. This is why philosophy has made so little progress in 2,500 years. Mm-hmm. And this is why I focus on uh, parenting and intergenerational change, because you can't change a mind that is not a mind. You can't change opinions with facts, because opinions are, in essence, a rejection of facts. It's like trying to get a clan member to marry a black person. <laughs> They've already declared their prejudice by being a clan member, so they're not going to marry a black person. Mm-hmm. As soon as you marry this black person, I can cure you of racism. No, no, no. It's the racism that's going to help me avoid the black, right? you understand? Yeah. So, you know, don't piss into the wind. It just blows on your legs, right? Don't waste <laughs> your energies trying to change the minds of people who are immune to reason and evidence as a result of their own prior traumas and their own conformity, what Ayn Rand called the social metaphysics, or social metaphysicians. People who base their opinions not upon what is true, but upon what is generally accepted or popular or easier in the moment. So in a sense, like in a very real sense, society is like a bunch of ants. Same level of self-knowledge, same dedication to evidence, same focus on the truth at any costs, and so on. Mm -hmm. And if you accept that um, and recognize that trying to implant Philosophy in people's minds, which requires philosophy in the first place, it can be just wished away. Right. It's like trying to develop physics from your nightly dreams. You can't do it because there's no objective Mm -hmm. standard.
3: Right. The person who wrote the subpoena is basically the least likely to be converted, right? So there's no point of getting angry against this person.
0: Well, see, now you're... (laughs) You say there's no point getting angry, but if you are angry, telling yourself that isn't going to help. I mean, curing anger, and I had some temper in me when I was younger, but curing anger is a long-term process. Anger is a form of hope. That's what I'm saying, right? Anger is a form of hope. And I think that hope is very dangerous. I just recently argued this in My Enemy the Soul. But hope is a very dangerous emotion because hope will impel you to action and hope will attempt to bring you closer to people and hope will attempt you to work to resolve situations or problems or ignorance or whatever. Right. The first question I ask myself is Is there hope in this? Okay. Right? Mm hmm. Is there hope? And if you're not 12, right, and you're older than that now, then you have empirical evidence. Is there hope. Well, And if there's not a- anger, the reason we hang on to anger is to avoid the despair of hopelessness. And the despair of hopelessness is essential to go through. Whenever you stop doing something, like if you're addicted to anger, I'm not saying you are, but if you are, then you're an addict, right? And if you're an addict, then the behavior that you're engaging in is to avoid some other emotion. And we keep these false hopes, like there's this old myth of the Will of the Wisp, this floating lights that would lead people into marshes and they'd get lost there and all that. Well, that light is hope. Leads you into marsh, you get lost. Mm-hmm. And a lot of why, what I do is designed to eradicate false hopes. Right? This is why I say to the political people, go for it! I know it's not going to work, but you need to know that. So you need to put everything... into what it is that you're doing and that way you cure
3: okay
0: and the same thing is true if people are embedded in abusive relationships i say go talk to people go talk to people until you break through or you break out if you break through fantastic if you break like if if you can continue to try and you continue to get abused and it escalates and eventually your hope is going to extinguish and that's Mm -hmm. called freedom Right? The only freedom is freedom from illusion, fundamentally. And your activities in the political realm have not changed people. In fact, it's only alienated people. Yeah. And so uh, I would examine that. You want other people, right? We always have to deliver values before anybody else will accept them. If you want other people to accept reason and evidence, then you need to first accept the reason and evidence that other people don't accept reason and evidence. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So anyway, that's sorry. That's hopefully the end of not too uh, useless a uh, lecture, but uh, it's a great question for sure.
3: Thank you, Stefan.
0: You're very welcome,
3: man. Uh, do uh, do drop
0: me a line. Let me know how it goes. Thanks. All right. Sorry, somebody's uh, not doesn't is confused by anger as a form of hope. Um. Well, if you're on a spaceship going to Mars and you are uh, something happens to your oxygen and you think you might make it you're going to feel all these emotions right at some point if you're halfway to mars and you run out of air there's absolutely no possibility that you will survive zero possibility whatsoever and at some point you're going to accept that and you're going to be resigned to your fate i mean that doesn't happen if it just blows up. But if you have, you know, a couple of days, you're going to go through a lot of emotions and you're going to, oh, what can I do? What can I do? And the anger is trying to find a way out of the situation. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm upset. But at some point, you're going to get, well, that's it. Um, I'm going to die. I'm going to run out of air and I'm going to die. Now, at that point, well, you're no longer angry because you've given up hope that you can survive the situation. All right, let's move on.
3: Yes. Uh, next up today, we
0: have Dave.
3: Good one. Davey,
0: Davey, give me your question, do. Go ahead, my friend.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm a public high school teacher. Um, I watch this show all the time, and I hear you talk
0: about uh, public teachers, uh, public high school teachers. Uh, can I insert the word trash in that? You hear me talk trash about public school teachers. Uh, but anyway, go on.
2: Right, um, But if you listen
0: to the show, you certainly would not be in the general demographic, I think. But please, go on.
2: Right. Well, uh, so let me set this up. Um, I watch your show all the time. I was already, as a teacher, kind of an outstander because I was a Ron Paul supporter. I um, think I came across your channel, saw one of your videos where you were saying, you know, you shouldn't vote at all, and I was uh, totally agreed with it. So started watching the guy with the bald head with the red room. And you were like Max Headroom on my screen for a while. and
0: uh, Yes, but it's cunningly the red has been covered up with the black. So. I know. And that, <laughs> These yeah. are the two colors of anarchy, and that's what I'm working on. But anyway, go on.
2: It threw me off. Uh, and so I, I did hear you talking about two weeks ago about teachers and lesson planning. And I hear you also talk about how often teachers teach on average, those types of things. And also, you know, uh, the way you talk about uh, public school teachers is – kind of like the way I think about police. Uh, If I don't like the institution, you know, I don't like police. uh, We just kind of assume that they all hold certain beliefs or
0: that they all support the system. And I know you don't think that... When you say, we assume that, what does that mean? Because you you suddenly went from Steph, you say this, to we assume this. And that's kind of a switch, right?
2: (laughs) Or that, you know, that that teachers just support the system that they're in, that they support the government system, that they want it to...
0: To be fair, I mean, there is a system and there are a lot of teachers protesting any kind of cut in in tenure and and all that kind of stuff. I've never said that all teachers believe the same thing. I mean, that's a form of collectivism.
2: Right. I'm not saying that you, you know, I just mean the the general portrayal. and I mean, that's I think it's normal. But I, I know you've also said I was recently listening to one of your talks on um, how we win arguments, how we win political arguments, and you said you've you know you have talked to a lot of teachers that are they're not crazy about the system, they don't agree with it. You've talked to politicians that they don't agree with the system. You've talked to police and they don't agree with the system. So there's plenty of people within the systems that don't agree. But I thought I would let you just ask me questions as a A public school teacher about what are my thoughts about the system just so that listeners could hear you know there are public school teachers that think this way
0: i think that's perfectly fair so what are your thoughts about the system um so
2: in as more specific something more specific about it about taxation about um forcing people to No, i don't
0: i don't particularly care about the tax argument um which is i mean if you want to talk about it that's fine but um i guess a question that i would have is how if if at all do you smuggle (laughs) clear thinking into your environment
2: well i'm i'm fairly new to the profession so
0: um you know oh, I, can, I know I can taste the newness in fact I can taste the hope <laughs> right like
2: so chicken. yeah I mean that's that makes it worse when you had hopes starting out uh, you know you come in just naive you want to just do something noble that's why I became a teacher and got into
0: the system and but I'm also looking at the system as okay a whole. so let's sorry let, let's let's back up you know my skepticism is fine so you know correct me where I'm wrong. But you say you wanted to do something noble? Yes. And um was that because you had a lot of really noble public school teachers when you were growing up?
2: Uh you know, I had some yeah, I had some decent school teachers when I grew up,
0: yeah. Oh, no, no. I didn't say decent. <laughs> Sorry to be annoying. We have to be precise, right? You said that you wanted to do something noble, and I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just trying to understand where that came from, right? Right. But uh, So, for instance, like when I got into philosophy, uh, I did want to do something noble, and that's because, to me, there are a lot of insanely brave and courageous philosophers, far braver than I'll ever have to be uh, throughout history, and so I sort of had precedence to work on. I don't recall, from my own experience and from none of the people that I've talked to, noble public school teachers. The only noble public school teachers seem to be like, you know, the standard deliver guy, John Taylor Gatto. Uh, They're the ones who seem to get pushed or kicked out or leave the system in abject horror, uh, so uh, that's my question. So, if you if you thought that public school teaching was noble, it must have been because you had noble public school teachers as an example, right?
2: Well, I did. I mean, I had some, and I'm um, my field is my math teachers, my math classes. You know, I respected them. I'm not going to say that you know they were blowing my socks off. And public school wasn't that way for me, but you know, I so was it fairly true them. that
0: you didn't have noble examples before. You wanted to go and do this noble thing?
2: Uh, not noble like you're saying, you know, like, uh, you know, like you said, the, the, stand, the del- gentleman from Stand and Delivered, not
0: like that, not necessarily, but they did. It's noble sp- is a word, sorry to interrupt, but noble is a word that public school teachers use a lot, right? Like, I, it's all for the kids and it's all, you know, but, but it's a word that is talked about a lot without really any evidence other than the fact that unions and other public school teachers seem to want to push noble people out of the profession as quickly as possible, which is why. What is it, a 50% dropout rate in the first five years? Right, yeah. It's more than that. I think it's like
2: 50% in the first two years and then 50% more after the first five years.
0: So it's Like Michelle Rhee, right? I'm sure you know the story of Michelle Rhee, the woman who took on the Washington public school educational system and actually improved the results of the students after many years of incredible declines. She fired teachers, she reformed schools, she fired principals and uh, she was kicked out right i mean she had a she had a plan which was going to allow teachers to earn six figure salaries if they improved the uh, marks of the of the of the students and uh, you didn't even have to join this plan you could just stay on your old plan and you you know everything was guaranteed and the union wouldn't even let it come to a vote and nobody protested that so the evidence does not seem to be that there's anything noble, because noble to me would be, noble is when you sacrifice your own interests for the good of needy others or your own immediate shallow interests, right? Prestige, money, security, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I can't think of or see in some fairly extensive, you know, I've seen John Taylor Gatto speak and interviewed a whole bunch of people and read a whole bunch of books. I haven't seen nobility in the public school teaching profession. And this doesn't mean that individual teachers, I don't know, can't be noble or whatever. But if you've had a 12-year exposure to a system that is pretty crappy, and then you say, well, I really want to go into the system to do good and be noble, I just have to admit some skepticism, if that makes any sense.
2: Right. Well, uh, not to get hung up on that, I, I mean, the reason that I said that was just compared to you know other professions that I was considering just... Uh, educating kids or you know making something
0: good for kids or okay great so educating kids so um so how do you educate how do you bring a true education you know reason evidence ethics uh, all that kind of stuff how do you bring critical thinking into your into your classes
2: well i mean i would not necessarily say that you know we're kind of forced within the system just to deal with what we're given the uh, the curriculum that we teach so we don't actually get to choose the teachers don't get to choose themselves it's really that we have to kind of shovel what's already there so I'm I'm not the best person to ask you know how do I
0: change it all cuz no, no no I didn't ask how you change it all you said that you went in to do something noble now something noble would be to teach kids how to think critically right And so I'm asking how you do that because you, I mean, you brought up the nobility thing, right? Right. Okay. So how do you bring uh, reason, evidence, and critical thinking to your kids? You say, well, there's this lesson plan. Sure, there's a lesson plan, but you're the one actually talking. There's lots of different examples you can give and stuff like that, right?
2: Yeah. Well, the lesson plan, I mean, that was something that I wanted to address just, you know, we could go back to that. I just kind of want
0: to just let you pick my brain on some things, though, Uh, but the Oh, I'm trying to pick your brain, and you're not giving me an answer if you've noticed, right? I'm asking well, how you bring critical thinking to your students, and you're not answering. Uh, and it's fine if you're not answering. You don't have to, of course. It's just a show. But I just really want to be telling you that I'm aware that you're not answering.
2: Oh, I, I know. the Because uh, we got caught up on the word nobility, and I was just you know kind of trying to, to give a reason why I went into it, because it seemed like something better than just trying to sell Uh, be a salesman or better than this profession or better than this profession
0: because it seemed like, you know, uh, seemed like a good thing. I'm sorry, what's wrong with being a salesman? Uh, Being a salesman is being in a voluntary win-win negotiation, right? Being a salesman is you have to attempt to convince someone of the benefit of your product without the use of state force, right? That's a a voluntary – so you're looking at the the public school profession, the teacher's profession – which is as you know as you know as a Ron Paul supporter you know is funded on coercion is exploitive of children promotes incompetence and tends to push out competence and anybody who does care about the children gets ejected from right. the system and so you're holding that coercive exploitive destructive system as somehow noble and more superior than a voluntary Exchange of values called an economic interaction or sales, you know, attempting to convince someone of the voluntary value of your product rather than being able to coercively enforce it. I'm just not sure how you get to call teaching noble and a voluntary interaction called being a salesperson as less noble.
2: I, I wouldn't, and, I, and I'm not really actually trying to portray that, so I apologize if I did. Uh, I was just saying, you know, having tried different professions, usually when you're within the profession, uh, you know, if you're in a business trying to sell things, usually you're just trying to impress your boss, so it's not really that, you know, you go to work with the cause of, I'm going to sell great things and support on- entrepreneurship today. You really just try to impress the boss or something like that, or if you worked an hourly job, you were really just... You know, sometimes a slave to your boss or a
0: slave to the cause, or uh, a slave I'm sorry, to business. Okay, so now you're using the word slave to a voluntary interaction where you are being paid by someone to do something. So that's a slave interaction, but there's a possibility for nobility in a coercive environment like public schools. Are you sure you're a free market supporter? Because it really doesn't, this is all perfect Marxism, right? Well,
2: I think I'm just getting caught up on, uh, you know, the definitions of words. I was just trying to explain why why I started out as a teacher. Because I do not agree with, with um, you know, basically the public school system now. Uh, don't I don't agree with forcing anybody to go to school. I don't agree with, you know, the use of force at all. I don't agree with getting the funny— And you them. have to hide
0: this from the children, right?
2: Well, I, well, I mean, yeah, I mean— now, I haven't been teaching that long, so this is, you know, fairly recent that I've come to, you know, just um, understand your, your uh,
0: explanation. Oh, sorry, when did you, how long have you been a teacher for?
2: Uh, this is my third year as a
0: teacher. And when did you get into Ron Paul? Was it 08? Uh,
2: no, it was in this last election, but I mean, I, so like libertarian, libertarianism, like the last year or two, so after I had become a teacher...
0: Oh so after you became a teacher you got into libertarianism? Yes. Okay, okay. All right. And 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 for that I sympathize, right? Because that's that's not the easiest progression in the world, to say the least, right? Right. And so I mean I'm
2: you know, I'm, I wasn't all that big of a public school supporter. It's not really that. I was just trying to give an explanation why I thought being a teacher would be a good idea. I'm not knocking any other
0: profession. I'm just saying the experience that I had. In other no, come on, come on. Let's be honest. You you started <laughs> saying that that was you know that you could do some noble stuff or you wanted to do noble stuff. Right. And you, you did disparage other professions. You said that, you know, being a salesman was less noble and also that if you're a slave to your boss, that's right. I mean, let's be fair. I mean, I, I don't I mean these opinions don't particularly offend me. They're very commonplace. But um, when you say that you weren't trying to do these things, I mean, you may not have consciously been trying to do them. And you'll hear this when you listen back to this on the show, right. that, um, that 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 is what you were doing, what you whether you wanted to or not is, is immaterial. I mean, that's what you were doing, right?
2: Yeah. And I I, that wasn't my intention. It was just to explain my experience with what I had, you know, places I had worked and things.
0: Right. Okay. And is there anything else? Because we got a whole bunch of uh, callers on the line. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we move on?
2: Um, Well, if there were if there was any questions, you know, like I said, that you wanted to ask me about, you know, do I support certain things within schooling? Uh, If you wanted to ask me anything like that.
0: Um, And I was. Well, no, because if I'm look, if I'm asking you as a teacher. If I'm asking you just as a person, that's not a particularly interesting conversation. If I'm asking you as a teacher, do you support the system and you say no, but you're participating within it and you're hiding the immorality of the system from the very children that it's exploiting, then that's not particularly noble, right? So if you go into a system founded on coercion and then you actively hide that coercion from the children and pretend that it's not there, I don't see that as noble. I don't see hiding the coercive nature of the system that they're truly enslaved in and really that their parents are they're really just the uh, excuse so you are in this system where you tell children don't use force to get what you want but your union again i'm not saying this is voluntary you, know, you have to be in the union but they use coercion all the time to get what they want and you can't say this to the children you can't say to the children well, you shouldn't use force to get what you want but i'm paid through the coercion of state violence There's so much that you have to hide from the children that it's hard to see. With all sympathy, you didn't invent the system and so on, and teaching is a great profession. But there's so much that you have to hide from the children. And there's so much hypocrisy that you have to have in your role where you have to say to children, don't bully. Now, I'm afraid I can't come to school tomorrow because my union has told me that we're on strike.
2: Right. Yeah, uh... Like I said, this is this is something I've come to recently. So, I mean, that was not my intention to go. If I would have known it would have been like that or if I would have, you know, had the same mindset or the same philosophies that I had now, I would not even
0: be going into the system. So, it's just... Well, kind of, or you would be, sorry, or you might be going into the system and you're going to say, well, I am not going to hide the truth of the system from the children. Right. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know... <laughs> lecture them every day about libertarianism right right but you know if if the children uh, are being aggressive then you can say well the rules are that you're not allowed to be aggressive now the reality is and i don't agree with this you can say this but the reality is of course that this whole environment is aggressive right i mean if your parents don't pay taxes that support my salary they go to jail if you don't come to school um you know you 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 can be a you know, found of truant, and your parents can can go to jail. And uh, you know, most of the money that's going into the system, seventy-five percent or more of the new money that goes into the system, just goes to pay people who aren't even teaching, retiree benefits, and so on. And if anyone tries to stop that, they'll go to jail. And so there's a lot of coercion that's in the environment as a whole, but you're not allowed to do it. You know, right. and I'm, that's the system. I don't agree with it. I'm, you know, I'm trying to sort of wake you up to the way things are. Uh, and I'm sorry that this is the system. It's not something I'm proud of. I didn't create it. And trying to be honest within it, but that, those are the facts. Right. I'm not saying you should do that. Understand? <laughs> I'm really not. I, I don't. I mean, I can't even imagine what the results of that would be. I mean, because of course, you know, all teachers know that the children go home and talk to their parents. Hey, what right. did you learn at school today? I learned that I'm in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go back. Right. So I understand that this may not be the most career-enhancing move that you could you could be making. <clears throat> but I just, you know, it's important to be honest with yourself. If you're not going to be honest about the system, to be honest with yourself that you you aren't going to be honest about the system with the kids. And thus you are contributing to, you know, their their corruption. I mean, like it or not. And I'm not saying that you want to or anything like that, but that's, isn't that the nature of the system? Right, yeah.
2: Well, there, um, there were a a couple of points. Okay, so um, one thing that you talk about all the time is how often school teachers teach. So um, one is that they teach on an average under three hours a day. That was one of the things you talk about,
0: right? Yeah, actually, well, I, it's not one of the things that I talk about. Uh, it's one of the things that I read from a book. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, certainly there is uh, there are a number of books out there who've tried to do this analysis of, of how often uh, teachers are actually teaching uh, in in. in Children right, in, during the day. But sorry, go on.
2: And I'm guessing that was that was elementary school because I, when I heard you explain it, it was saying that, you know, they have recess and they have other things. So that was referring to elementary. Because
0: mm-hmm.
2: I know I teach uh, myself. I have to teach four and a half hours a day. Uh, but when and that's direct at,
0: classroom instruction
2: that. Yeah, that's that's actual time just scheduled to teach classes. And there's so there's no recess or, you know. In high school, it's nothing like that.
0: So, and that's not time between classes? And again, I'm just trying to be really precise. No, that's, you know, that's no there's like another... There's you're actually a, opening your mouth, talking to students who are already settled and, and waiting to learn? Or is that, you know, well, they got five minutes to settle and this and that?
2: No, there's five minutes before that. Then they come in for an hour and a half class, five minutes. And then they come in for an hour and a half. And I teach three one and a half
0: hour classes. Okay, but with, um, with ten minutes in between? Like five minutes to leave, five minutes to come in? Five minutes, and then
2: then the the class starts. Then one and a half hours later, you get another five minutes to go to the next class.
0: So the Okay, so it's actually, so in in three classes, that's half an hour less than what you're saying, right?
2: No, I'm saying that you could add an extra 15 minutes for three
0: classes then, because they actually have extra time on there. Uh, Maybe my math is, you're the math teacher, but (laughs) just help me understand this. If you're teaching three classes, which there are five minutes before and five minutes after, right, that's six times, right, six times five or three times ten, which is 30 minutes uh, of the four and a half hours where the children are going from one class to another.
2: Right, and that that does not count as the part of the hour, hour and a half. So the hour and a half starts after you've had five minutes to get to class.
0: Oh, I see. I see. My mistake. I apologize. Okay. Well, I think that's, that's good to know. That's good to know. So you're teaching, is it four and a half, four and a half hours a day? It's
2: four and a half hours a day. And that's, that's pretty much in my state. Uh, I'm from Texas. Um, but the, another thing that I found interesting, I mean, I, I would have thought, you know, well, that's still not a lot of work. Four and a half hours for most people's workday is not very long. I would have thought, you know, the instruction time is that's when the teacher's actually doing the quote unquote work. Um, But then when we look at China, I looked at China and how their teachers teach, which their teachers are excellent. I've seen how their teachers teach. And they spend only one and a half hours a day teaching. They teach two 45-minute classes. And the rest of the day, day they teach or they um, work with their master teacher, which is like a mentor. And they do go and uh, spend time in the classroom while he or she is teaching and learn from a better teacher. And they spend most of the rest of their day six to seven hours just planning with their master teacher. So only one and a half hours is
0: spent in China teaching per day. Um, and you feel that Chinese teachers are excellent?
2: Oh, I mean, I've, se- I've seen the way they are. Uh, I don't know. They do excellent in our culture. I mean, that's not going to make you know, our culture w- want to learn. But in their well, I mean, system-
0: I, in, from what I understand of the Chinese culture individualism, critical thinking, reason and evidence, philosophy, uh, not, not really strong in <laughs> the Chinese culture.
2: Not strong, but if you, if you look inside their schools, I mean, it's uh, more of the Prussian style like you talk about, it's even worse like that, um, but they're actually, the, the kids themselves and the families, they support what they're doing. At least, you know, they're, they're going for it. Um,
0: well, they're, but that they support what they're doing is not, I mean, Hitler was voted in democratically, right? That's not always a great argument as to the virtue of the system. Um, and it would, of course, it would be fascinating to see what would happen to a Chinese teacher who decided to pull out some Lao Tse and uh, really start to, or some Socrates and start to teach some critical thinking, uh, how long that person would oh would last in that in that system. I would imagine it would be measured in the milliseconds. But uh, but I shall, mean, uh, as,
2: as far as just, you know, them reaching their intended goal within a school or, or you know, within their government, however you want to look at it. They intended to teach this material, and they're kicking butt at that. I mean, they're doing good at what they intended to do. I'm not supporting the virtue of it. I'm just saying that they made this goal, and they reached it.
0: Um. Yeah, listen, uh, look, I don't have any particular problem with how long teachers work. Because for me to have a problem, I mean, I think it's, it's in them teachers say, oh, we work so hard, we work so hard and i think that there's some you know they, my issue with, with is with with teachers saying that they work so hard and uh, my my issue is not with teachers should be teaching 10 hours a day because that would be crazy i have no idea i have no idea how long teachers should teach i have i have no idea whatsoever now when teachers tell me well we work so hard well of course i'm gonna <laughs> have some questions with that and you say four and a half hours it's good to know I'm good to know sorry But um, because I I don't know what is optimal learning for 21st century, incredibly intelligent children. The schooling system was designed for children about half as intelligent as children now, just based on the Flynn effect, right? IQ goes up every generation. Right. And it was designed, uh, you know, pre-computers, pre-internet, pre-cell phones, pre-whatever, right? Uh, I'm, you know, quite interested in the unschooling thing where children don't go to school and nobody (laughs) has to spend any hours a day. Being a formal teacher, I think that's quite a fascinating uh, idea. So I don't think you should work more. I don't. I mean, maybe you should work less. Maybe you should be available as a tutor to help out unschooled or homeschooled kids. I don't know. Uh, So, uh, so I just sort of wanted. So if you say, well, you know, the teachers in China only work an hour and a half. I don't know if that's better or worse. I don't know if that's right or wrong. It's certainly different. Um, But um, I just wanted to sort of point that out.
2: I was just making the point on that, you know, because uh, I think you, it would seem that it would be correlated, okay, they only work, teachers only work two and a half hours a day, according to studies. It doesn't seem like they're doing much work, so, I mean, obviously they're not working that hard. That means they should have bad results. No wonder they're having bad results, but then when you find out some teachers
0: are only teaching an hour and a half a day and they're kicking our butt. Uh, it's not Well, somebody's just written, sorry to interrupt, somebody's written on the chat room, very few Chinese go to school after the age of 11 and the ones that continue under high school are highly motivated. Um, well, and and so remember that, in China, the nail that sticks up will be hammered down. They are the Borg, no individual thinking, all are obedient or kicked out of school. So, I mean, again, I don't know, but um, uh, well, that, that is... Uh,
2: that would point to, you know, that would point to why they're able to be to be successful in that way or see, you know, what they report the numbers as. Those are basically, you know, only their top kids only make it through. So that that would be true, and that's a fair point.
0: All right. Listen, uh, we got more callers. Uh, so I really appreciate you calling in, and uh, I hope that you will consider bringing some critical thinking, which I'm, you know, obviously you have uh, and to some degree. Uh, think about bringing that in uh, to, to your classrooms. Um, and uh, if you do, uh, I certainly would be interested if you would drop me a line. Let me know how it goes.
2: All right. Thanks a lot for having me on the show.
0: Thanks, man. Bye. Uh, next, we have Loki. Loki.
4: Hey, hey. Uh, so- okay, you can hear me good. All right. Um, okay. So, uh, shall we go for the um, logical slash discussion topic, or we're are we going to go for the emotional um, depths of the soul, reaching into my well? This be your show, past. my brother. So what? whatever no, you want to talk no, about I'm, I'm going to force, listen. I'm gonna force you to take a pick you're going to take your oh pick. let's do logic
0: let's do logic. do logic I like I like me the logic
4: okay you like your logic alright um, so I've been looking into this and I've been really having a trouble time with this and I believe that uh, this is a really tough one um, I believe that uh, property ownership is actually a convention of the populace and it's a
0: Convention of the – did you say populace?
4: Yes. It is, okay, okay. It, it is a socially acceptable concept of, of own, property ownership and we Why
0: both, do you think it's a convention – sorry, just interrupt. I just want to make sure I understand where you're coming from at the beginning. Why do you think it's a convention of the populace? The reason I ask that is it seems to me people are entirely very keen on abandoning property.
4: Well, Well, certainly they may be. They may be. I mean um, they, they
0: wanna give they, they wanna pay their taxes, they attack anyone who suggests that they're yes. the oh, yeah, yeah. immoral. They oh, yeah, um yeah, yeah. But, but we, you know, talking. they they really love national debt and, divide, it, and national debts nope. are a violation of the property rights of the next generation. They oh, I mean sure. people's violation of property seems to be, you know, <laughs> I I wish it were a convention of the populace, it would make our job a lot easier.
4: No, no, no don't no, don't straw man me there. That that's that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <okay, very> <laughs> okay. I'm not trying to strawman you, I'm just trying to understand where you're going from, oh, my brother. All right. Well we both we both would agree that if you have a state society, if you have a government society, that uh, you know, the population has bequeathed all that they own to the throne, so uh, let's just screw that whole idea because that's just bullshit. Okay. Um, all right. Look. Let's assume that we're dealing with an anarchist society, a society of people who have decided that the initiation of violence, the initi- initiation of force, is unacceptable. So we've accepted this premise and that we'll not initiate force, we'll not initiate violence. Um, and uh, you, as a person who's homesteaded a property or homesteaded a property uh, I don't know block of marble of some sort, and you go ahead and make yourself a nice little statue of some sort um, uh,
0: that's sorry, sorry to be annoying, but that's you know because who dug up the marble and so on let's just say that I build a cottage in an unowned area in the deep north of Canada. Let's okay.
4: Say that. All right. Let's start with the and cottage. And I cut
0: down the trees and I, you know, I, yeah, yeah. So um, you cut I the built tree. sewage plants or whatever. Okay. So let's just say that I, I have a cottage that I have it's built, a little hut that I built. Okay.
4: You've cut down the trees, you've built yourself a cottage, you've got your cottage all good and good and ready to go. And and, and uh, I
0: didn't even I didn't even need to build the saw. Because I'm really good at martial arts. So those trees, they don't have a freaking chance. I'm just telling you. I, I mean, I MMA'd their ass, turned them into powder, into toothpicks with one blow of my, of my uh, are, are hard, trying, hard hand.
4: Are you trying to dig on me on the freaking martial arts thing? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go on. Go on. Okay, so... Um...
0: Remember, I'm brave with a microphone. <laughs> anyway, go on.
4: All right. Well, let's just assume that yes, you've built yourself your cottage out of uh, whatever, and Judo chopped it, as uh, a Rashmiki would say. Um, you've got uh, you've got your your cottage there, and the premise of the society that we have is kind of like what uh, the Zeitgeist Movement or the Venus Project has decided to make their claim upon. Is that uh, well, we've got uh, you know. Replicators that can just like instantly replicate whatever it is that you want, and so nobody has any claim to ownership at least perpetuity of ownership for a item or a, a structure or whatever the hell that is. Um, wait, but, wait,
0: wait, how does me? Sorry, how does me building a cottage tie into the replicator idea? Um, okay,
4: well. The uh, general concept of the Zeitgeist movement and the Zuneus project is that, well, we've got these machines that can make everything that you've ever wanted at the snap of a of a finger, a right? And it, it it's kind of like reduces the uh, the rarity or the scarcity of a lot of products. Um, Not really. Well, I mean, I, I, I no, agree because
0: with look, I mean, you need you need the power to to power the machines, somebody needs to invent the machines, you need to divert resources to build the machines. And each one of those machines can only produce, I assume, one good at a time. And so which goods is it going to produce for whom? uh, And what what are you going to do when the resources to produce those goods become scarce? Uh, Having a replicator, uh, there is no way, there is no way to jump out of the laws of economics. There is no way to do it. Uh, And and so the idea that that we can somehow get rid of scarcity with replicant machines uh, does not not matter. It doesn't doesn't cease to exist. Like we have like a hundred times more food now than we did in the Middle Ages, probably a thousand times if you look at, right? And so in a sense, but but does that mean that there's no need for economics in food? No, of course there's every need for economics in food. In fact, we only have all of this excess food because – there's some uh, economics, uh, some free market principles still operating in the agricultural industry. So the idea that um, that we can through so – like email is this massive replicant system, right? But we still have to fight spam and every time we read an email, it, it takes a few seconds out of our life and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the idea that there's some replicant that will allow you to vault out of the laws of economics, uh, I, I don't think is valid. Anyway, but go on. Uh, you know
4: what? I completely agree with you. Um, I – I have no argument there, and uh, you know the price system obviously helps you analyze these things. And look, I, I the, I'm not really talking about that, but the point is, is that they're they're trying to look at it is the concept. Um, and so I brought it up as a as a aside, I suppose that, that you know it it's kind of like this this concept, um, but. Bottom line is is that um, their perspective and this theoretical perspective in I must say that you know after you know, reviewing the concept and you know boiling it around and so on, the logical assumption, the logical conclusion that you must get to is, is that property ownership must exist in order to have a really productive society, a society that actually ends up achieving anything worth crap requires this. However, when I I was trying to apply the concepts of universal preferable behavior, um, the UPB construct you've created in your book, which is obviously, uh, it's kind of like a scientific method of understanding how to deal with concepts and positions. And so the position is, that I will take, and we'll let's see if we can apply UBB to it, is that um, I'm going to assert that uh, no one has um, that uh, current usage and um, current ownership, it, it, when I use the word ownership, I really don't really mean ownership, because that. That concept actually means something different.
0: Um, and we, sorry, I, I have a feeling because I, I think we're sort of floundering around a little bit here. So let me just well, let me just ask clarify. you this. Let me just ask you this question, right? Because everybody and I fell into this trap too, so I apologize for that. Let's just we need to talk vaginas. That's that's the well, key. But but see, you're uh, that always is, that is the Sunday morning. <laughs> that is the Sunday morning church that we need to attend. We need to talk vag- vaginas, but, right? So let, let me clarify, does let a me woman me, have the right to exclusive use of her vagina?
4: Wait, wait, wait. Let me let me clarify that, but <laughs> there's very, very clear, obvious okay, a person who is a person or any object of their body, whether it be their anus, their vagina, or their whatever, it doesn't matter. They, the
0: armpit. The armpit yeah, for the truly their kinky. Armpit, but whatever. On. Yeah. And the unshaven cool. armpit for the truly, yeah. truly kinky. I i.e. the French people. But go on.
4: They are in perpetual in perpetual usership of the object or the item when it is their own personal body. Um, even when they're asleep, they are using their body to whatever. Okay, so they have primary usership of the um, molecules that make up their armpit um, and the fact is is that we have the various different uh, chemicals and and electrons and whatever
0: okay listen you got to i got to get you to get get to All a right. question Bo- i mean this is I, i'm allowed to have monologues but i'm afraid uh, you can't so if you can get to a question then we can okay. move on with the conversation otherwise you can, we can call back when you've got a question
4: no bottom line is is that primary usership pri- uh, or While currently using something, you have ownership of it, temporal ownership, and if you put down the sandwich and decide that you're going to go ahead and hammer on a nail and somebody picks up your sandwich and starts to eat it, they've got ownership of it because you have discarded your ownership of it and no owner you know ownership can be transitory is a concept and it is a societal convention that we choose to adopt that says all right realistically if we're going to have a reasonable society a society that's actually going to have progress in in, in actually achieve something of value we actually have to assume that Yes, you
0: uh, you can have no, life. no, 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 no. That's not what we get. We can't get ethics from uh, from an argument from effect for the good of society as a whole. There is no such thing as society as a whole. It's like no, saying no, no. for the for the good of unicorns, I must be allowed to rape people. I mean, no. this just doesn't. I'm not saying that's, that's not your, what you're saying. Let me let me just finish because because I'm trying still trying to understand where you're coming from. The reason that we have to accept property rights is you can't deny them without asserting them. I mean, this just fails UPB right off the bat. You can't argue against self-ownership and the effects of self-ownership without exercising self-ownership, making an argument, which is the effect of self-ownership, which is your argument. So this is how we don't have to, for the good of society as a whole and all that, because it is to the advantage of particular individuals that property rights are violated repetitively. Right. So I mean so so I just want to point out that we don't need lots of abstract things. We just need to look at the argument itself and say you can't right. Anyway, so listen, I'm gonna give you one more point, but we've got lots of people in the queue, so go ahead. But
4: but very clearly what why you've said there is an establishment of temporal or current property rights, not perpetual property rights you have made a claim of if i'm going to make a statement and i'm a person who is making that statement i have made a statement and thus i own my statement and i am yeah but that's just reality
0: if i look if i I wrote a book called let me just let me just finish no temporal the temporal doesn't change because reality doesn't change i wrote a book called practical anarchy uh in i don't know 2007 2008 and it will never be ever that somebody else wrote that book Oh, I did? That book will never, ever have been written by somebody else. So I as did. far as the effects of my ownership, it is until the end of time I wrote that book.
4: No, I did. I, I wrote the same exact book. I, I wrote the same exact book. I typed it in my computer exactly word for word. Um, I happen to be looking at No, no. You typed the book. You know, the book. I... I, I Yes, but you know what? I- but
0: that's like saying that a, a photocopy of Mona Lisa is exactly the same as Leonardo da Vinci, which is
4: of but course it, not. But it's, it's not a photocopy. It's actually dried fried by my physical actions and so on. But bottom line is you know that IP laws don't exist. You know that copy... Right law does not exist. You know that.
0: I didn't difference. say anything about copyright. I didn't say anything about copyright. It right. is a fact. And look, we're going to have to move on to another caller because we're kind of going in circles. But it is a fact from here until the end of time that I wrote that book. That doesn't mean that I support copyrights. I'm just saying that it is a fact from now, from the time I, I wrote it, the book until the well, end we, of the time well, we that can I wrote share,
4: the book. We can share the same. Expression of thought and the same thing. And that does not, you know, one ownership does not preclude the other. That's that's like a that's a conflagration of the term ownership. Ownership of a person's exacting behavior does not necessarily mean ownership in perpetuity of the results of that labor. If I shoot somebody, I own the action. I don't own the dead body for the rest of the time. Okay, the, the dead body is the property of the, of the family or whatever or whatever the societal convention is. It is not, you know, I am responsible for what I've acted, what my actions were. I am not perpetual owner of everything that the result of my action was for all, all time unless we agree upon it as a society.
0: All right. I, I think that's um, an interesting point. I will have to mull it over. And in that mulling, I will have to move on to another caller because otherwise we're going to be doing this into the wee hours of tonight. Hey, but um, uh, thank you so much for your call. Yes, go ahead.
4: One quick ash- question before you go. Um, you're going to be in uh, California. And uh, I just wanted to know what Libertopia – What what are the – the dates and so on just so that we can get like that plug in because i think it's an awesome experience and i
0: oh yeah you got to go to libertopia i mean especially if you have kids i mean oh my god it's fantastic would, great kids would, activities it is in one of the most beautiful areas uh, of the world uh, literally and uh, so you can go to libertopia.org uh today and tomorrow they take they take bitcoin for goodness sake so you can turn that digits into something useful uh, and uh, I'm going to be the Master of Ceremonies. I'm going to be hosting the whole thing. I'll be on stage for the three days. <laughs> I'll be opening and closing speeches. Uh, will be me. I mean, and look, I mean, maybe you think I suck, which, you know, occasionally Hello, I will agree Ross. with you. But um, there's, you know, um, Jeff Berwick's going to be there, Richard Body, the great Richard Body, uh, who actually is becoming closer and closer to an Ewok as time goes by in terms of his look. Uh, Peter Bose, Doug Casey, Gary Sharkey, uh and Sky Conway, uh, of course, is going to be uh, is, is running it and all that. David Friedman, uh, who also brings uh, Hobbit Town to uh, Foster Gamble, uh, David Gordon. Oh, hey, David Gordon, that would be nice to see. <laughs> that will be fun. Anyway, and, uh, uh, Ernie Hancock uh, and all that. So the there's dates? just going to be some fantastic. Steph Kinsella is going to be there, uh, and the uh, he's the he's date? a guy you want to talk to.
4: Sorry? What are the what are the dates specifically? The dates that we need to be there.
0: <coughs> excuse me um, uh, so it starts 11th the 14th. October 11th that would be next 13th uh, 11th uh, 12th of course uh, and uh, Saturday the 13th and Sunday the 14th it's going to be some some juicy juicy stuff and uh, it's going to be just great I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of speeches I'll be on a whole bunch of panels and um, it's going to be uh, I, I, I've been this is my third year there I was MC last year and it is uh you know, I hate to say it because there's lots of great events. Um, you know, if you're not into um, living rough, uh, then then go to Libertopia, and if you're into living rough, go to Porkfest, then Libertopia. But it is uh, it is just fantastic.
4: Well, thank you, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to seeing you if I can somehow get myself out to California. I, it's a great
0: you great have time. to look. You have to. I mean, listen. Life. These are studies, right? Studies show that life is enriched through a variety of memories, and you just, you, you, you got to go. You got to go because, um, you, you know, we live solitary lives as rational thinkers, and you need to be around out of the rational thinkers. Just, you know, it's an old quote from some writer that was quoted in a fairly good movie called Shadowlands with Anthony Hopkins. It says, we, we read to know that we're not alone. Well, we, we go and meet people to know that we're not alone. It is an incredible recharge, and it is a vision of the future. Because this is this slice of people who believe in voluntarism and peace is a window to the future. It's like time travel, and uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to go for some time traveling? So uh, I would highly recommend it.
4: Well, I thank you for being such a, a great voice for reason and uh, for logic, and I, I hope that uh, I'll be able to have some sit-down time and talk with you again, again about uh, these. Uh, yeah, abstract concepts of temporal or permanent property ownership and things like that. Um, I, I really think that you add so much to the knowledge of humanity as a whole, and uh, I I think that I can bring some additional value, and, and I hope that we can really make the world tick the way that we know that it can like hum like a beautiful, explosive, you know, productive, ex- just amazing experience that everyone would benefit from.
0: Fantastic. Thanks. All right, well, let's move on to the next floor. And Thank you for your comments.
5: All right, next up, we have Josh. Hello. Hello. Hi, uh, can you hear me, Steph? I can. Oh, fantastic, I'm just, uh, I'm on my Skype mobile, so it's, it's the first test run, uh, and I'm in a big room, so I'm not actually in the toilet, it's uh, a bit echoey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Unless your toilet is a very big room, like you need lots of room yeah. for thrashing around and so on, so...
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, thanks for taking my call. Um, I uh, actually spo- I interviewed you from Australia when I was there, uh, back in the, uh, about four months ago or something like that. Um,
0: yes, I remember. How are things?
5: You remember? Yeah, good, Thank good. Uh, I've actually moved to Berlin now uh, with my wife and... Um, we're uh, enjoying the... We've enjoyed the little bit of the end of the summer here, and it was just absolutely beautiful. But um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was that, um, uh, you know, I, I, I've been a big advocate for anarchist philosophy and um, uh, voluntarism for a, a long time, and I've gone on about it and on about it to people. And um, I had a... Uh, and, and then about... A year and a half ago I had a um uh, uh, my aortic valve I had to get replaced in my in my heart, and the Australian system is such that i've uh, you know over my time working i've paid into the tax system and this and that by force but um you know of course the 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 whole procedure was free and in and out and it was amazing and the 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 surgeons were absolutely stunning and um you know i mean uh, uh, and the nurses, my God, what they have to put up with is, is phenomenal. When I was in ICU, you know, seeing them really, the, what they what they do is really just, uh, you know, words can't explain. I mean, they, there's there's a woman staring, one woman per, or one person per. per I, I had a woman, but one person per person in ICU in in uh, intensive care uh, unit, and they, they're staring at a monitor full of graphs of your monitor just all night long, just staring. I mean, if I look at a computer for a while, I just fall asleep, but these people just sit there. And anyway, it's amazing. And, but what my real problem sort of afterwards was, was, you know, I'd, I'd go on about any, and I still stand absolutely (laughs) by that philosophy, but, it's really hard to talk to people about it now, I find uh, people that are close to me, because then straight away they say, well, what about, you know, you had your, your heart fixed by that system, and, and if, you, if you had to pay for you there was no way you could afford it. And it's true, I couldn't have afforded it. Um, but, um, oh. <laughs>
0: you know...
5: <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait.
0: <laughs> A whole bunch of stuff flowing there together, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the important thing is to, is to separate the source... Of the problem from the effects of the problem, right? So if I go steal $1,000 and give $1,000 to charity, and then somebody says, you shouldn't have stolen that money, if I then say, oh, so what you're saying is you're against charity, mm. then that's clearly messed up, right? Yeah, yeah. So nobody's against you getting your aortic valve replaced. I mean, I think that mm. I'm sure the pig happily gave up his life so that you could walk, walk tall. Uh, so, I mean, oh, well, nobody is against that. But... Oh, sorry. It what I meant sub. was the boaric robot. Um, yeah. The Right. No, I'm not going to make any more jokes about my citron. No, I'm still okay. vegetarian.
5: So, all right. <laughs> so, so, no – that's
0: right. Well, you don't eat it. right? But nobody is saying that you shouldn't have that, right? Um, nobody's saying that um, you should have died. I mean, this, of course, is not the, not the case at all. Um, and, and But if you say that you can't afford it, well – we don't know the likelihood is that you could have because and there's a couple of reasons for that of course you know healthcare costs go up enormously because government limits this and regulates that and the tort system is really bad for the other and all that so i mean oh yeah all that healthcare costs used to be going down and and then they went up like crazy and people say ah oh, well that's because of technology but the point is technology is to make things cheaper and so on so uh did you when you were in australia were you required to have regular physical checkups?
5: Um, no, but I did anyway because okay, I knew okay, I had good. So, uh,
0: so that's sort of point as well. Like, um, that's uh, something. It was a genetic something problem. to mention. Right. Uh, it was a genetic issue. And was there any way that it could have been detectable ahead of time?
5: Uh, yeah, I, d- I actually detected it uh, because I'm very tall. Uh, so they detected it just from a general checkup uh, when I was a teenager. They said, "Oh, actually, you've got a, a misshapen valve here. It's not doing anything badly right now, but." In the future, you might need to get it replaced. So, every you know, a couple of years, I went and had a um, an ultrasound and got it checked out. So, yeah. Right.
0: Okay. Now, you understand that just from a cold-eyed economic standpoint, you're way more profitable alive than dead, right? Hmm. Right. So, yeah, let's definitely. say in a free society, let's say you have health insurance, and life insurance. Let's just say. Mm. Now, if you have health insurance, by the same company that gives you life insurance, they really, really don't want you to die, right?
1: Mm.
0: For two reasons. One, if you die, then they have to pay out your life insurance policy. And Mm. number two, if you die, you won't be paying them a whole lot more premiums, right? Mm. Because you will be, as I mentioned, dead, right? So a company that uh, where you have this kind of insurance, they want to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. You know, it's estimated that people earn a million or $2 million over the course of their life. And so, you know, anything that's less than that is, you know, more or less, you know, give or take, it's it's productive and positive Mm -hmm. for people to lend to you if you pay them back, or if you've got insurance, then they want to keep all of that stuff. And so, so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you had any kind of, insurance and i would want health insurance from the same company that gives me life insurance to make sure that they have as much incentive as possible to keep me alive and so yeah. this would have been taken care of now let's say you didn't have any of this stuff and so on well there are lots of people who care about you who love you they would be happy to help out uh, doctors of course used to give lots of pro bono stuff to to healthy young people and of course you know you would have uh, decided to stay alive uh, and you would wanted to stay alive, so you would have you said, yeah, I'll I'll pay you back, you know, a thousand bucks, yeah, uh, uh, you know, every two months, you know, for the next twenty years, just so I'm not dead. Like there's this guy in Canada, uh, the the government would not. I think he had liver cancer, and the government said, well, you're too far gone, you can't get, you know, I'm not going to give you, I'm just going to let you die. Mm. And w- why? Well, the government doesn't pay out any. Yeah. life insurance in fact they're kind of on the hook for your retirement pension so in a sense I, yeah. i'm not saying that they want you to die but
5: no, yeah, so he went yeah. he
0: sold his house he went to england and he spent i don't know how much money on a procedure in england and now he's fine and now he's suing the government saying look you guys refuse treatment for me uh, i went to england i got treatment and people were like oh that's you know horrifying i mean he had to sell his house and and this is like but what the hell good you don't get you're gonna get buried in his house i mean what the hell does a house do for you if you're dead so there's ways there's ways to do it. So nobody is saying that you shouldn't have this procedure. And yes, you are alive because mm. the government did what the government did or the government paid. But of course it wasn't the system that kept you alive. It was the doctors. It wasn't the coercion but, at the root of yeah. how the doctors were paid that kept you alive. It was the doctors themselves. And it's not like there would be no doctors in a free society. I think there'd be much better and more effective ones.
5: Oh, absolutely, and and you know you definitely you, you see you see the, the the fall in price in in the healthcare system um, in in Asia. I mean, this, the whole um, tourism uh, medical tourism trade in Asia is huge, and and you know yeah, it's not as as it's not as advanced in some ways. Um,
0: uh, well, and of course, if you look at things like plastic surgery and LASIK eye surgery, the prices for those things have gone down enormously because plastic, they're not yeah. as embedded in the government system so look i mean i get it i, I really do understand it right there is a sense of like yeah. well you people saved my life how can i fight against the system that pays you
5: no, and 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 I get that part. And the the problem now is that I've moved to Berlin, and my, um, you know, my sister here. Uh, I've you know I talk to her a lot about stuff, and, and she, you know, she she sort of gets it, but she always makes these little digs. For instance, and 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 this is another thing I've had to sort of battle with is moved here. I haven't got the most most money uh, in the world. I've, I've sort of saved a bit and this and that to get over here to be with my father a bit more, but. Um, uh, he, Uh, You know, over here, you have to have health insurance. You have to have it. Um, So, but there's private health insurance, which is really, really expensive. Um, You you know, it's really expensive. And then there is private public health insurance, which is kind of a strange mixture. Uh, But um, it's a lot more, it's a lot cheaper and they have to take you if, you can't afford it because everyone has to have health insurance, but yeah. it's backed by the government. Anyway, I, I ended up having to go with them because I just, I could, just couldn't afford the public, uh, the, the private full private health insurance. And, um, and sorry, uh, but just and to, to be clear, this
0: is one of the problems with the words public and private, because public and private seem to create this sphere called, well, here's the government and that's public. And over here is the free market and that's private. But of mm. course, we both know that healthcare in Germany is a long way away from the free market. All these licensing mm. and restrictions, and massive educational requirements, and I don't know if they allow midwives or whatever. Just you know, the general crowding out of other practitioners, plus a government-granted monopoly on the dispensing of medication and all that—it's a lo- even even the quote private—is a hell of a long way from from the free market. Uh, so I just want to point that out. And of course, it is expensive, and part of the reason it is expensive is you having to pay a lot of taxes for the, quote, public uh, system. So, anyway, I mentioned want to mention that, but well,
5: that. Uh, yeah, and, and not only that, you're, um, they're, they're having to compete with the, right, right. quote, public one. So, they're having to compete with super cheap, which most people are in.
0: And they have uh, to pay a lot of taxes, uh, at which they have to pass along the cost to you, right?
5: The, yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, I mean, it's very biased, but you know, that that then, it's it, it's difficult, plus my, my wife uh, wants to learn German. So we went to a private German school um, and they wanted a thousand euros for, um, for four weeks of two lessons a week uh, of, of three hours or something like that. And then we went and uh, someone passes a link to uh, the Volksschule, which is the, 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 um, the public uh, school sort of version And it's uh, 150 euros for four hours a day, every day for four weeks, and and so you know, of course, I'm going to do that because I just I want my wife to learn German and can't you know I'm not just going to throw money in the wind and say oh I'm going to do it that way and I I sort of keep having to make these choices financially and economically make these choices which go against my ethics.
0: um, Sorry, why did they go against why did they go against your ethics?
5: Well, because I, I'm, the, the public school that uh, my wife went to to uh, learn German is subsidized by all these taxpayers who are paying all these taxes.
0: Well, and, but sorry, know. the um, but the profits of the private school are subsidized, right? I'm going to assume that in the private school you still have to have a government-licensed teacher, right?
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, I'm guessing here. Yeah.
0: and I'm sure well, they have to be know. licensed, I, I, and I'm I, sure they pay well, for those licenses, and I'm sure that there's some kind of restriction. Uh, on, well, I'm on not
5: school. sure in terms of, germ- because this is just basic language learning, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure if there's much license. It's, it's not like children's school. It's not like public school in terms of that. This is, um, you know, uh, sort of like the private school, the private language school was just a language school with someone that I'm assuming. Well, you know,
0: if you're on your computer, things. why not just Google it and find out if they're licensed or not? And if they are, of course, then you're, you know, subsidizing. That, uh, that 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 yeah. they're you know rent seekers because they're going to up their price based on that, and of course they you know they yeah. have to pay all these taxes and they have to follow all of these uh, rules and get licenses and pay corporate taxes on their profits and so on, all of the costs of which they have to pass along.
5: Mm. I mean, but for me, it's, it's it's these sort of choices, and then I get these sort of little digs. They're not these digs, but you know, I mean, my sister she's working as a as a public school teacher, and um, and I I, I you know. I, I don't try to dig it or anything like that, but of course, these sort of, um, I, I kind of, uh, you know, I get these little digs from her, every they're very subtle, and, and I know she doesn't mean them by hard, but she's like, you know, not digs, but they're sort of like, for instance, she would say, you know, I'd say, oh, we're going to go with the fox school, and she said, I said, it's just a, it's just way too, way more cheaper, and I, you know, I'd I just could use the money elsewhere at the moment. It should be like, yeah, well, that's because, uh, you know, they're not using, they're not um, uh, doing it for profit, whereas the private ones are just all for profit. And I, right. and I just couldn't be bothered then going into the big spiel. So I, I kind of feel like now now more and more after all these things, my, my heart thing, my their school thing, then the insurance thing, and, and over and over, I'm starting to feel like if I post something on Facebook, Saying you know the, the the standard anarcho sort of news stuff or, or something that might look at this this would be so much better if you know these sort of posts and if I do that then I get these like what are you going on about and it's just this sort of upward battle against people that and and you know what I mean always sort of yeah look look I mean
0: but but I would say that that's because your conflicts are implicit rather than explicit. Right. So, you know, swimming out of the swimming against the stream is kind of tired. So get in a boat. Right. And the boat is sit down with your sister and say, look, I'm we have this conflict. We have this conflict. And I can understand where you're coming from. You know, this system saved my life. I choose to get government subsidized things rather than pay artificially inflated prices for private school things. And I just went to uh, one German website. I was listening. I really was. where uh, it seems (laughs) to be about the biggest. The Deutsche Institut. You don't actually have to yell when you do German, but I really feel that it it, it enhances the language (laughs) a lot. And they say, The Deutsche Institut is a licensed test center and member of Gufferdus equals Alto and (laughs) Fioto. Actually, those are just acronyms, but they sound like a vague mix between German and traditional stereotyped kamikaze Japanese. But they do seem to be uh, quite... um, quite pleased that they are accredited by so many, I assume, government institutions or quasi-government institutions. So, so you sit down with your sister say, look, I can understand that it seems like I'm biting the hand that feeds me. I understand that I am choosing to pay less money in order to, well, save money, right? And so I'm, mm. you know, but I'm also paying taxes, and so come back to me that way. But this is sort of my whole point, that this is how the system is problematic. Mm. Right. So even I, who disagree with the whole system, find myself participating in the system. So that's, you know, understand that, hmm. that that's difficult for me. And it's not that I'm ungrateful and it's not that I, uh, you know, don't want the same things that I got for other people. I want more of them. Right. I mean, I assume yeah. that Australia and like all the other Western countries, is kind of in debt. And, you know, what's going to happen to all of these wonderful, quote, magically free procedures, which you actually did call it free, and you know that's, of course, not true. Mm. But what's going to happen to no, all of these procedures free. when the government can't pay its own bills, right? When the government can't pay the doctors anymore. That's kind of what I'm concerned about. Mm. But just have that, that conversation and say, if, if you feel that I'm being hypocritical, which I can understand, like if, if sitting in your shoes, I can really understand why I should mm-hmm. put your shoes on my feet rather than sit on them because it's kind of painful with the stiletto's oh, facing up. But,
5: shoes, so good luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so when I'm canoeing in your shoes down down <laughs> the Rhine, um, but uh, but you have the conversation. The digs are really annoying because the yes. digs are a way of trying to put the other person in a position where they feel negatively about what they're doing without actually having to go through and argue, right? Mm. Right. So I just did this uh, interview with. Um, uh, a recent magazine, and someone sent me... Uh, someone uh, someone was was posting about how, oh, you know, Steph's a joke. His his arguments would be laughed out of any graduate school philosophy course, and he's only popular on the internet because there's uneducated people who think he's... Whatever, right? And I think, you know, to me, that's all very nice, you know? <laughs> but, but how about actually disproving one of my arguments, <laughs> you know, rather yeah, than just yeah, saying yeah. other people would laugh at his arguments, and he's not a real philosopher and so on, and, you know, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, <laughs> but... I agree that lots of people would laugh at my arguments, and I don't know what it is to be a real philosopher. Um, I don't know what is that. Is that, um, you know, a, 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 is it a tattoo? Uh, is it, uh, I don't know. But, yeah, um, a certain
5: club you have to lie on. A, a certain club. But, uh, but,
0: you know, to me, you know, when I, was a, when I was programming, I was a programmer. When I do philosophy, I'm a philosopher. But anyway. Yeah, but, um, but, but the reality is that this is, uh, it's not an argument. Right, So for, for, for people to imply that you're hypocritical is still not an argument. And mm. when, when I say argument, I don't mean a fight, right? But it's, it's, not, it's not fair. Mm. Because look, if you are, I don't think you are, but if you are being hypocritical, then your sister should want to really help you with that. And what that means is she should want to sit down and really help you because being hypocritical is bad for your brain. Mm. it's manipulative, it causes you to lie to yourself it alienates you from honest and, and meaning well, well-intentioned people it means that you have to put yeah. fences around certain conversational topics, you end up becoming a little mini-dictatorship in your own inner state right? the state fundamentally yeah, well, uh, is just the state of mind what happens in politics mirrors what happens in the mind, so she should want to sit down and help you with that, not give you little mm. digs,
5: mm. and that, if I, she doesn't think you're being bad, hypocritical
0: yeah. sorry, go ahead
5: I, and I, because I, I, I sort of punished myself a little bit as well, because it's like, what am I doing here? And I'm, you know, sucking off other people and this and that. But, you know, really, I just think, well, no, economically, I'm in this situation, and um, and this is, uh, and I've, you know, I mean, the thing is, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, yeah, it's kind of, um, I just no, I, but but, it bothers you. It bothers you because,
0: I mean, a part of it, part of you, agrees with it, right? I mean, if Mm. if part of you didn't agree with it, then it wouldn't bother you, right? If people say, I've got the most ridiculous-looking mohawk that they've ever seen, that doesn't really bother me, right? And if people Mm. slander what I'm saying without providing any counter-arguments, it doesn't bother me. It literally, I mean, I Mm. I know this sounds like all kinds of zen, it literally doesn't bother me. All they're doing is punching themselves in the face and thinking they're winning an argument, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so... It, 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 like, I read that kind of stuff. I'm like, hey, I do a show every Sunday. I, I've never refused, to my memory, a listener conversation. If people want to take me to task, you know, that this guy, this public school teacher contacted me early in the week, said I'd like to talk to you about public school teacher's perspective. Yes, great. You know, has anyone ever come mm-hmm. on and said, I, I disagree with you What I've said, get this person off the air as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Bring, bring it on. Seriously. I mean, I, you know. Yeah. And so... If if somebody yeah, has yeah, it, think you're right. a significant issue, think they, they is. need to talk about it with you, openly and clearly. Get it out on the table. Mm. Because this yeah. stuff is it's it's going to eat away at you, um, you know, without without clarity. And if you don't like, if you then reject what your sister is saying, you will only be able to do so by downgrading her, in your mind, mm. and that's going to be harmful to your relationship. I think you just got to have this stuff out. You know, say all the things that you want to say to me, I would say to this person. Say all the negative things that you want to say. You know, do you think I'm a hypocrite? Tell me I'm a hypocrite. Let's get it. Let's hash it out. Because it's harmful to our relationship for this little Chinese water torture of negative comments to be coming between us. And it's coming between me and myself. Siblings have a huge impact on how we think about ourselves. I mean –
5: and this is the thing I, I agree, and I think that's uh, that's good resolution to go and definitely talk to. Her. But then I think, what about all my all the people, all my friends on Facebook and stuff uh, that that communicate me through me from Facebook? Um, you know, they all know that I've had surgery. Um, uh, not all of them, but and and you know, I can't do a big spiel about what my feelings are. I mean, maybe I can, but on Facebook, and and then you know, have it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't well, but really but want if,
0: if to have a are, big public If people debate. are dissing you on Facebook, sorry, if people are dissing you on Facebook, invite them to have a conversation with you, and then put it yeah. out as a show.
5: Yeah.
0: Look, yeah. you can't lose. I mean, other than people who are just outright abusive, you can't lose from being corrected. Mm. Can't mm. lose, because look, if you invite people to come and debate you. And I tell you this from six years' experience of of saying to people who think I'm an idiot, come, tell me how I'm an idiot. Yeah. And the number of people who actually want to do it is like 1%, or maybe 0.1%. And so I get that it's got nothing to do with me. Look, I mean, I've got 50,000 subscribers on YouTube, hundreds of thousands of podcast listeners. I mean, this is a big-ass show. I've got as many subscribers almost as Reason TV. And so it's a big chance to put your dukes up, step in the ring with me, and knock me flat.
5: Yeah.
0: And, I mean, there's a bit of a martial metaphor, <laughs> but uh, if there are people who think that you're being hypocritical and someone is like, and not with a you know adversary, like, just come on, tell me, tell me. Because if I am being mm. hypocritical, I want to know. Hmm. Mm.
5: Fantastic. Well, thanks for your counsel on that.
0: I hope that you will. And, and let me know if this is ever uh, a show. Uh, I would like to, to yeah. hear it, because... Uh, <laughs>
5: But but and, yeah. and the
0: other thing, too, sorry, is that it also gives you the wonderful ability to dismiss people. Oh, dismissing people. You know, I read years yeah. and years ago, uh, I used to um, read the Harvard Business Review when I was in, in business,
1: yeah.
0: uh, being a corrupt salesman, as our <laughs> school teacher uh, friend was saying. But I read an article that had a huge impact on me, which was, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but the general gist of it was that it's very important to fire some customers. Mm -hmm. if you're in business. You know, everybody assumes that just having a customer is a great thing, but why assume that? Mm -hmm. Again, we need Mm -hmm. to submit that to reason and evidence. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that, you know, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's like 10% of customers take up like 70 or 80% of your resources. Fire those customers.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like, is the customer profitable not just in your Ins and outs, but in the resources that they're taking from your organization as a whole. It's very important. To find. So, being able to get rid of people, being able to fire people, being able to dismiss people is very important. And one of the great things about people who are, you know, putting you down or saying you're this, you're that, you know, invite them in. You know, come. Yeah. In, and I don't just invite them in privately. Like, I will do a live public debate with them, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, no, I'm not going to edit it. I, you know, I don't have control over it. I can't decide if I'm wrong to not publish it. Live public debate. And yeah. and people don't want to do that. And the wonderful mm. thing is I get to then just dismiss them.
5: Yay! <laughs> Fantastic. <Yeah.
0: laughs> Fantastic. No,
5: it's not great. always right.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great because then it means that they're actually not – they have no benevolence towards me. Yeah. Right? Because if I'm wrong and I'm – and also it's important – and it's not just benevolence for me because I'm a public intellectual – And Mm. because I will broadcast the full debate, if I'm proven wrong, they get to help out hundreds of thousands of people correct themselves. Hundreds of thousands of people will Mm. listen to me be corrected,
5: Yeah,
0: right? And the chance to correct erroneous thinking in hundreds of thousands of people and to prove me wrong, Mm. I mean, you'd have to really not like humanity at all, yes. to not take that opportunity to correct. I mean, if you care about correcting people because people are you know, saying that I'm an idiot and you obviously care about truth and falsehood and correct and incorrect, to have the chance to, and this is why I'm saying do it as a show, to publicly expose me as an idiot and all that kind of stuff and, and to correct the thinking of hundreds of thousands of people. People who are professors, they spend their whole career to reach like 5,000 people. Ten thousand people, maybe. Yeah. So you get the chance to correct erroneous thinking in hundreds of thousands of people, and and it should be very easy because I'm an idiot, right?
5: (laughs) I mean, it should just be very, very. I think you're underselling yourself there, but the uh, no, no, no. I mean, according to these people's perspective,
0: I'm an idiot, and therefore mm. it should be incredibly easy to correct me. Mm. I see. see, And it will go out to hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And the you get significant ranking rights by taking I down get of the uh, biggest false uh, show on the web. So I'm just pointing out that they then don't care about truth and falsehood. They don't care about correcting uh, erroneous thinking. I mean, it's obviously yeah. just some emotional reaction because of their own immaturity and lack of self-knowledge and bloody bloody blah blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. that's why it's important to invite people in. The people who care about you will have the conversation. The people who are just out flinging their own monkey poo around <laughs> will will not. Mm. And then we'll mm-hmm. pretend that you no, know, but you can you get to dismiss them, which is very very valuable.
5: But you're a fantastic masturbator. See, that's the thing. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, if well. I understood you correctly, I would say that
0: it's all about the practice, <laughs> which is why no, but, one uh, I, but, problem is bi-sized and the other one is human-sized. anyway. Uh, so yeah, listen, no, can uh, I get onto the last? I'm just to, yes, um, to keep going.
5: Thank you very much, Stefan. And uh, no, but uh, one one last quick thing. That the problem was the uh, you know it's, sometimes you get frightened of having these debates and then getting cut down. And then on the drive home, you think that's what I should have said. Damn it! Uh, but you're very good at thinking on your feet. You see?
0: Well, I mean, there's some preparation you should do, and mm. um, you can always, of course, put an addendum in. But um, mm. but as long as you're honest in the debate, then I don't think that you'll have a problem right so if somebody says something that you think is like wow that really hits a chord in me i really i find myself really responding to that yeah and you know if you're sort of honest about that like you'll never i don't think you'll ever go back and say i really should have lied rather than no. truth in that debate so as yeah. long as you're honest in the debate then mm-hmm. i think that uh, you, you really can't can't go wrong
5: hey well thank you very very much uh have a wonderful rest of a sunday
0: Oh, thank you. So far, so good. Right. It was always a pleasure and, talking uh, with thanks, you.
5: Thanks for your counsel. And enjoy your very first German winter. Oh, ah! The Britain, oh, it will be fun Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh right, no, thanks, I have man. to go out and buy a jacket pretty soon.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, a jacket. <laughs> I would suggest a tent with a fireplace with several <laughs> in which to carry you around, but uh, that's uh, it's up to you. All right, do we have one more caller,
3: Mr. J? Yes, we do. And uh, at the com- risk of being completely obvious, there's not going to be a show next week, right?
0: There will not be a show next week, but thank you for being completely obvious.
3: (laughs) Okay. And uh, there will be one the week after? Is that right?
0: Um, I will get back to you on that. Okay. No problem. But I'm not sure when we're back from that, so I will double check. But thank you for reminding me. No show. Next week, it just came to me.
3: I will drop you uh, an email as well. All right. Um, Next up, last caller today, we have Sean.
0: Sean, how are you? Thank you for your patience.
6: I am fantastic. How are you, Steph? Great, thanks. Good um, one. I am terribly, I have a terribly embarrassing problem. Um, I've been listening to your show for about three years, and I have no idea what virtue is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, just for, um, for those of you who don't speak his accent, he said three years, not three years. Because three years is confusing, because trees, of course, have rings, with that indicate lots of different <laughs> years.
6: So
0: I just wanted to mention, for those who don't speak, uh, I assume, Scottish, uh, then...
6: Um, not not uh, Scottish, Irish.
0: Irish, sorry, the Sean could have been an indication there. Sorry, I meant to say Irish. For those <laughs> of you who don't see, he said you said three. Uh, I'm just going to insert the H there. Okay, so <laughs> virtue is, uh, is the issue that you have.
6: Yes, yeah, very difficult and slippery thing to define properly, I find. I, actually, I put a thread on the board, and I was thinking, okay, with UPB, we know what's not good. And after that, we have a giant... Uh, told of actions that are just not bad. So how do right. we then categorize them as virtuous actions?
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, virtue is a lot trickier than vice, right? I mean, thou shalt not is a very, very specific. Thou shalt is very difficult. And virtue, of course, is a problem because um, there are no unchosen positive obligations. You don't have to be virtuous and so on. So I did actually do a series last, I think, March, uh, on on virtue i think it's a three-part series so um you, you can go and listen to those um, i I,
6: did, I, li- I literally listened just before the show because i've been thinking about this for about two weeks and then i said okay i'll have a listen to your um uh your, I, it you was still the know. first the first one you did
0: <laughs> right and you still and, no clear uh, about uh,
6: yeah it was like you kind of said this is virtue and then you just dived in and said courage is a virtue and then you kind of gave two examples you said like it's i'll just take two um you had to you stand up at an anti-racism meeting and say racism is bad. It's not really a, a virtuous action. And then obviously, none not a virtuous action is standing up and becoming an abolitionist in the past would be, would have been a very virtuous action. But the, the, you're saying that courage is a virtue, but it also is, would take me a lot of courage to go out and rob someone on the street with a knife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. so it's kind of difficult to pin down exactly which actions are virtuous, because I've been thinking about it, I was like, I've been trying to be virtuous for a few years now, I've no idea what it is. It's a, it's a pretty right. big mistake.
0: Well, let me ask you, uh, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, obviously, as a society, we've come a long way from the caves, right? And infant sacrifice and rape and murder and theft as pretty much the... Uh, the reason to get up in the morning uh, and uh, not brush your haggard teeth. What are the greatest benefits that you enjoy in society that have resulted from the courageous actions of other people in the past?
6: Um, being, I suppose, relatively more free than a lot of people were in the past. Not, not probably worrying too much about being, you know, clubs to death on my way to, the, on my way to get some food.
0: Um. Right. So uh, the fact that um, uh, that people have uh, fought for thousands of years to to limit the power of the state and and has you know to some degree been quite successful. I mean, if you look at economic freedom even in the modern era in the West compared to that of the Middle Ages, I mean it's far far better. Right. But that t- that took some real fighting. Right. That took some some. I mean that was that was a tussle and a half to say the least to to push back medieval protectionism. And yes, sometimes it was done because the Farm owners recognized that it was more productive to do so and blah blah. blah. They wanted to fund the empire and, uh, and, and imperialism and so on. But nonetheless, there was a fight and you know, the corn laws and, and other kinds of ways of opening up. Uh, the enclosure movement also um, problematic. There wasn't many ways did open up agricultural productivity and so on. And so, there are fights that people had in the past that I think we can safely say were overall negative to them. Because when you free up the economy, it takes quite a while for the benefits to flow back to you in any way that's proportional to the disutility of the fight, if that makes any sense, right? So let's say the economy starts to grow three or 4% a year, well, you may get some of that, you may not, but it'd take a long time for it to feel at an hourly rate and for the stress that it was worth it for you, right? So UPB is, um universally preferable behavior uh, th- through time, of course, right, and yesterday, today, and tomorrow, geographically, and so on. But virtue, to me, it has something to do with the stuff that I'm really glad that I have that came out of other people's courageous actions and virtuous actions in the past. Um, that, that is really cool, right? So, I mean, for, for women to have equality under the law, um, which was not exactly the case throughout most of human history, was the result of 200-plus years of incredible courage on the part of mostly women, some men, Um, the the racial equality that has been to some degree achieved where now atheists can look at blacks and say, man, you don't know anything about discrimination. (laughs) You can get a black guy elected president. You can't get an atheist elected president to save your life. And so all, all of those, but that was the result of a huge amount of, Difficult and, and fractious and, and problematic behavior. Um, the Courageous behavior on the part of, of activists and, and other writers and thinkers and so on.
6: And just on so that, the stuff point, could, then, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Um, so you talk about then this being courageous, but then if you think about this side of sacrificing yourself for something, and if you look at objectivism, obviously sacrificing yourself for something is a big no no. Um, so it there's a difficulty I have there as well. Whereas, you, in a way, because you seem like you're approaching it by saying that a lot of what we're doing is sort of a sacrifice for the future. But then again, it, it doesn't feel like that. I, I still feel great when I do good actions and when I deal with integrity, when I'm honest and when I uh, you know, uh, have some courage. Uh, an action that I believe is great, it's maybe some placebo, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's Well, that.
0: look, I mean... I hate to pull the parent thing, but Ayn Rand didn't have kids and had very little exposure to children. So it's kind of, I mean, her definition of sacrifice didn't include having children. And I think it's kind of hard to understand sacrifice if you don't have kids or if you don't have a lot of exposure to kids that spend a lot of time with kids. Um, because, you know, uh, kids
3: are, I'm
0: sorry?
6: I haven't had a great deal of time
0: around kids now. Yeah, I mean, look, so uh, you, when your kid is, is sick or, or your kid is just having bad dreams and is up for the third time in the night, uh, you know, it's not number one for you to go and deal with that, right? I mean, later in it's box, like, oh, yeah, yeah. remember that time when you got up and we watched cartoons at three o'clock in the morning or whatever? Um, so, but, but, I mean, there's, there's sacrifice in that, and that is for the, the sake of a, of a long term a future. Yeah. And I, I was somewhat surprised at the degree of sacrifice uh, that was required uh, in the moment, right? Um, and, uh, but, but I mean, there is such a, a wonderfully great thing that, that comes out of that, um, a, a human being. I mean, the, most, the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and so uh, it's, I think it's, it's a little tough to, to get the sacrifice thing. Uh, you have a, a larger goal called raising a human being which is a wonderful and fantastic and amazing and, you know, I mean, my heart flutters like a flock of startled geese in joy um, when my daughter rushes up and tells me how much she loves me and, uh, you know, kisses me on the cheek and all that. Or we were at a fair yesterday and she was doing crafts and uh, this woman said, it's amazing. Your daughter is like the most polite child, not even toddler, the most polite child that I've ever seen. She said, please and thank you for everything. She was perfectly charming. We've heard these reports from a variety of different people. I mean, this is This is great because, you know, (laughs) respect begets respect, politeness begets uh, politeness. So you have this great long-term goal called raising uh, a child. And, of course, there's a lot in it in the moment that you don't particularly want to do. I mean, there's fun parts to it, but there's stuff in there that, you know, uh, I wouldn't be, you know, spending a year walking around uh, after a rolling ball like Frankenstein with a back injury. Uh, (laughs) But I did that with my daughter when she was learning how to walk and and move around and all that.
6: But see, you're doing it out of love. You're doing it out of love. It's not like the kind of the um, altruistic sacrifice where you're, you're throwing yourself front the bullets for the state in that kind of way and trying to say virtue.
0: Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm doing it out of uh, out of love. I'm doing it out of um, excitement and, and I mean there's the, the growth and the, you know the, the, the step forward and all that kind of stuff. But it's a multi-decade project, of course. And parenting never really ends. I think <laughs> kids are always going to need some help, some guidance. And even when you're dying, you can teach them something about dying, which will be helpful to them in time eventually. So, uh, you know, this idea that sacrificing a lower value for a higher value, I've always had, I've never taken this on, and I don't want to take this on in in any depth right now because it's been a long show, but it's kind of not right. I mean, people always behave for some reason and so if somebody agrees with a bad person in the moment because they want to get along with that person then they they're not sacrificing a lower value for a higher value in the moment they want to get along with that person avoid conflict and that's what they're doing that's their highest value in the moment now you could say they're sacrificing their long-term happiness for their short-term gains right like a smoker who lights up another cigarette well you're sacrificing your long-term happiness for your short-term happiness but in that moment his higher value is to have a cigarette rather than not have a cigarette so people, it's hard to argue that people, I mean, again, this is sort of a praxeological thing, but it's hard to argue that people in the moment are consciously and knowingly doing something they don't want to do. Because empirically, whatever they're doing is what they want to do. Now, we may argue with their priorities and so on, but it's hard for me to to understand the argument that says that you should sacrifice uh, lower values Sorry, higher values for lower values, because that's not what actually happens in the world. Uh, You know, so people will always make an argument that, well, they'll try and reformulate your values so that obedience to the collective is a virtue. And that's good. And therefore, you're pursuing virtue by submitting yourself to the religion or to the tribe or to the country or to the race or to the nation or whatever. And so I think that people always do act in the moment with their highest with their highest values now I would argue that virtue is to try and extend those higher values so that discomfort in the moment is placed in context with gains as a whole and I really want the world to be a better place lots of people do of course I don't claim any monopoly on that but I would love to see a world free of war I would love to see a world free of unjust incarceration, I would like to see a world free of child abuse and so on, murder, theft, legal and illegal. And also, I would like to provide, I've always wanted to provide, to others what was denied me as a child. I mean, if you have spent a lot of time really hungry, you cannot step over a hungry person. I mean, just because you get it, you understand it, you know it. So if you really remember what it was like to be hungry, you kinda can't <laughs> just ignore hungry people. And so I know what it was like, for instance, to, to not be supported in, in a history of child abuse, to have no social recognition of how terrible that was and so on. So yeah, I will provide that to others because I remember what it was like to live without that. And that's why I say that, you know, the first virtue is always honesty and, and memory really is the root of, of virtue. Because if you have memory, you have empathy, and if you have empathy, then you can universalize in a a truly uh, deep fashion rather than intellectually, which is, and again, so this is all kind of abstract stuff, but if you extend your definition of what is productive and positive in the world, even just for you, right, so I don't want to be dying of lung cancer in 20 years, so I'm going to stop smoking now, it's going to be uncomfortable, and I don't want to my marriage to mess up. So I'm not going to have this affair. I don't want to destroy my relationship with my kids. So I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to scream and yell, hit, beat them, whatever. Right.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's sort of relative in a way. I think what, what would I love for my friends to have? Uh, I should at least be that myself if I want to have friends who are that way.
0: Yeah. And I want, uh, so I want good things for the world and I know, at least according to the best science and experts in the field, I know how to achieve the best things for the world, which is to advocate for improved parenting, to sympathize and validate the upset and anger of people who've been abused as children, because that is the best way to inoculate them against the repetition of the cycle and to protect their children in the future. Uh, And so, I mean, I sort of go on and on. But these are the the things that are uh, proven, scientifically proven, not... Oh, it'd be great if this politician saved us, right? Which is empirically disproven. But uh, the, I just you know, I have a, 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 a quirky habit called I like to do what works, and so look at the evidence and, and so on. And so, uh, a virtue to me is to extend that which is positive and beneficial, and universal, and true, and advocated in the world, and there's no question that that is going to come with negative repercussions, right? If nobody's attacking you, you're just not doing enough good yet because <laughs> to do good <laughs> is to promote virtue. And when you promote virtue, you harm the interests of non-virtuous people, of, of bad people. And so um, that can be obviously challenging at times and so on. And, and so, yeah, you have to look at the big picture and look at the long term things and, and do that, which is right. Now I understand I'm sort of defining virtue as doing that, which is right and so on, but um, I think that we've had this conversation, not just one today, but in general long enough that we have a sense of what is necessary and what is right. You know, a non-aggression principle uh, in one's personal lives, yeah. reflecting then at society so agree, as a whole, and so on. Yeah. It, so, it should, so, but, but we have, if we have the long sense. view, then the sacrifices are are worth it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
6: But so if we don't Thoreau, have the
0: long view, then the we'll be tempted thing. to compromise. Yeah.
6: Thoreau said, "The only long-term." investment that never fails is virtue. It's a nice quote.
0: Well, it depends. Again, it depends what you mean by failure. Um, it can fail. I mean, people got burned at the stake for telling scientific truths to the church well, and, the, and so Yeah, but because, because of that, though, we are free to speak it. the speak scientific Right, culture. and so that which we've inherited we that we consider valuable and beneficial, I think we can, you know, fairly say the pay it forward kind of thing, right? You know, like I really, if you say, look, I really, really appreciate this charity. You know, this charity has been fantastic. Uh, It it really saved me when that guy gave me 10 bucks to go get lunch when I was starving. Then if you see a really hungry person and say, well, I'm never going to give that guy 10 bucks, even though he's starving. I mean, that just, I just don't think that would really happen if you really remember what it was like to be hungry. So if you've received benefits, then to pay those benefits forward seems to me like a good thing. It's not, you don't have to, you don't get thrown in jail for not doing it, but it's kind of hypocritical to say, Well, I really appreciate, and I'm hugely valuable, and my life is happy because of the sacrifices other people made in the past to make a better world. But I'm not going to lift a finger or make any sacrifices to make a better world in the future. I mean, that is kind of selfish, right? And it is hypocritical. Say, I really really appreciate these benefits, but I'm not going to create any benefits.
6: Okay, yeah, great. And thanks for answering.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Uh, oh yes, Liberty Forum in Toronto, Saturday, November the third. Um, when is your keynote speech? I don't know, <laughs> but I will be there all day. So I hope that you will come out all, uh, all day, and I'll be around all day. You know, um, I mean, I love, love, love to chat with listeners and critics and and all that. So uh, I'll be around. You know, let's uh, let's do lunch, and so um, that's uh, that's what I'm all about. So if you'll be there, uh, I will be there too. So. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, so much. I'm sorry that um, I could have done more time on the the virtue topic, and uh, maybe I'll do a show on it and take on this challenge of of altruism versus self-interest. But you guys are just brilliant. Brilliant! Brilliant! Thank you so much uh, for all all of your support. And uh, sorry that the documentary is a little late, but um, I'm going into a bit of a travel fest, so it's going to be a little delayed. But have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week, and I will talk to you soon.